Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody. Welcome to Hobby Hangout on Sports Cards Live. It is Friday night, December the 2nd, 2022, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I do want to thank last week's guest, Chris Sewell from Baseball Card Collector Investor Dealer. What a great episode that was. You can check that out on the YouTube channel. I'd also like to thank Danny Black for joining us last Sunday on Collectible Live, another great episode, also on the YouTube channel. And tomorrow night at 10 o'clock Eastern, our guest will be Ken Richardson of Pastime Sports. He owns four hobby shops in British Columbia and has been in the hobby since he was 15 years old. He's never had an employer in his life. Excited to hear what he has to share with us. I would like to shout out the Center Stage app. You can download the app in the App Store for quick comps, whether you are shopping for cards or pricing cards at card shows. It is continuously improving. So please join me in supporting these great entrepreneurs as they undertake the innovation and continue to push the hobby forward. Also want to let everybody know that Whatnot is back as a sponsor of the channel. We will be streaming to the Whatnot app moving forward on this show, as well as all other platforms as always. But check out Whatnot, the, what, the Whatnot app for auctions, buy it nows, fixed price listings, 24 hours a day, on the app stores where you can download the app. Also, the PWCC Premier Auction just launched this week. It will end on Thursday, December the 15th, and we will be covering it here, as always, on Sports Cards Live, along with Adam Gray, and our special guest will be Karn Rye. Tonight, we have four panelists joining us. As always, on Sports Cards Live, your comments or questions are in play. We may save the questions till the end. We'll see how much activity we have, so be prepared for that. But please bear with us. And with that, let's bring out the panel. We're going to start with Jeff Wilson, who is the sports card investor. Jeff, welcome to the show. We're going to bring on Teapot as well. Tyler, welcome. Great to have you. We've got Doug Husky. Good to see you, Doug. And none other than... I mean, let's face it, the best book <laughs> in the bunch, Kelly Francis. Welcome to Sports Cards Live. Now, I can say, Jeff, you were on with me. It's over two years ago that you were first on the show. It was October the 21st, 2020. Over two years have gone by. It's hard to believe it's been that much time. Teapot, you've been on. I don't, I don't have the exact date handy, but you've been on with me before for a full episode. But Kelly and Doug, I want to welcome both of you for the first time two sports cards live. It's great to have everybody. And before we get into the real discussion, we're just going to say hello. Jeff, start with you. How are you? You ready to do this tonight? I'm ready, Jeremy. I'm happy to be back. I couldn't believe when you told me how long it was since the last time I had been on, I couldn't believe it had been that long. I have obviously seen you at a bunch of shows. We've talked a lot, but but I'm, I'm excited to be back tonight. And even better, I got some of my team with me. So uh, happy to have them here as well. Yeah, actually, that's a great point. You know, it's it's it was important to me to have the whole team on because sports card investor is so much more than just you, Jeff Wilson. You know, you've got you got a great team. You're incorporating everybody into your content on your channel. You do a ton of videos, high high quality production. Much of it thanks to Kelly Francis. Kelly, I'll go, we're going to go to you quick here. Oh, gosh, <laughs> I mean Kelly, you 
from what I've seen, and I've seen you kind of running around, making sure that everything is moving properly and you guys are sticking to schedules when you're producing content at card shows. And it can be tough because there's a lot of disruptions and all that. But, you know, considering that you're arranging for guests for the virtual holiday year after year, are you happy to just kind of sit back and answer some questions tonight? Yeah, it feels it feels a little out of place. I'm not going to lie, because... I mean, even just waiting to be launched into the show, I'm sitting here being like, oh, I don't have my producer controls with me. I don't have the ability to look and like manage camera settings for everybody. So it, it's really been sort of like this out of body experience at this moment. I'm I'm living for it. I'm definitely living for it. I'm definitely excited to be on the show, but it is one of these like weird things that I'm like sitting here almost like, where are my controls? <laughs> No, well, hey, you can relax. It's my job to keep the show moving tonight. So it's it's great to have you, Kelly. You're brightening up the screen, that's for sure. So glad to have you. Doug, your first time on the show. We've we've kind of gotten to know each other over the past year, I'd say, just being at uh, the Sport Card Expos in Toronto and uh, rubbing shoulders at the Atlantic City National and all that. But uh, welcome to the show. Have you had a lot of experience sort of being on the other side of the mic versus, well, I shouldn't say that, you have. You're often on screen with Teapot and with Jeff doing the various pieces of content that you guys do. In that case, you're 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 there. You're sitting with the boss. You're sitting with a team. Here you are. You know, how does it feel to be kind of on, on a show that is not on the Sports Card Investor channel? Yeah, it feels great. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, I'm sorry your show's reached a point where you had to bring me on. Uh, <laughs> you've had you've had such esteemed guests over the course of of, of this show, and now it's me. So, um, you know. The hobby's, the hobby's struggling right now, if this is the best <laughs> you can get. But uh, I will say, yeah, so this is kind of like a big episode of Cards on the Table for us, right? You know, I'm used to sitting down and having conversations with with Jeff and Teapot, or we're in the office always talking and hanging out. And I'm, I'm used to seeing you now as well, as you mentioned. You know, we run into each other at Burbank and the National at the uh, Sport Card Expo. So um, this, is, this is fine for me. It's in my comfort zone for sure. Right on. Well, great to have you. And finally, let's end this off with you, Teapot. Uh, I mean, you and I, we communicate all the time, whether it's on DMs, on Instagram, see each other around. We've you've been on the show. Uh, well, I just want to welcome you back to Sports Cards Live. You must have been on probably about a year ago, I'm thinking. And uh, we're going to we're going to get into some discussion shortly about the year 2022 and what how, how it's been for you. But without without getting into any of those ideas and thoughts you've had, how does it feel to be back on Sports Cards Live after a year? It feels awesome. I think it's, it's it has to have been longer than that because I was in my old, much better studio in my house in Michigan, which was about at least 14 months ago. So, uh, but it might have been really close to prior to when I moved, you know, maybe in late summer of, of that year. Um, it feels great. I feel like it's been too long since I got to stand next to you and remember how short I am. Uh, but um, I, I always enjoy exchanging thoughts on, on IG and I'm happy to be here. All right. Well, good. It, it's it's great to have you guys. I love having, I want to say the whole team, but this is certainly not the whole team. Sports Card Investor, I don't know how many people make up the team. Jeff, can you, let, like, how big is the team? Uh, we've got four of you here. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is just a part of it. So it's a small part of it. We've got around 25 people uh, total uh, who work for us, and we've got about half of them are concentrated on content. So we've got a great uh, four-person video team. We've got social. We've got a couple of writers. Um, we've got a, a graphic, a couple of graphic designers on the team as well. Um, and then uh, obviously Doug does um, partnerships and community management for us. 
Um, and then the other half of the team is product and, and Teapot leads that part of the org. Kelly leads the, the content part of the org and Teapot leads the product part of the org. And then Teapot's got a great product manager. Um, he's got a great head of technology and uh, a slew of developers, uh, as well as a, a great marketer on his team as well. Right on. Well, I, I, it's nice to hear you kind of shout out the rest of the team, let everybody know that that they're a part of it. And we're not just we're not just uh, referring to you for as the team. I want to make that very clear. I think it's important that everybody's recognized. I'm seeing in the chat here, people are talking about the Discord server is popping, says Ryan Pierce right here. Uh, you know, and big C7 is wondering who's here from Discord. Tell us a little bit about the Discord server. I have to admit, everybody. I do not have a good grasp on Discord. I have the app, I have a few channels, but I don't really, I can't go in there and feel like I know how to how to navigate the Discord platform. What uh, what can you just, anyone who doesn't know it very well, and I don't know which, which of, of the four of you is best informed or best able to describe it, but give us a just a high level explanation. First of all, what goes on on the Sports Card Investor Discord channel i guess it's called and even some information on discord for anybody who might be looking to to get involved why don't you take that one doug doug's probably yeah. the most active of us on there sure uh, i'll start by saying what happens in the sci discord server stays in the sci discord server so i can't tell you too much about it unfortunately jeremy but uh um basically just like a large message board like a live group message board right um tons of different channels and you can kind of pick and choose which channels you see and have access to but discussions across all different sports, you know, there's basketball discussion, football, baseball, hockey, soccer, F1, Pokemon, across the, you know, we run the whole gamut, right? Uh, a lot of other channels outside of that, there's marketplaces that are that are specific to each sport as well, where you can go and buy and sell your uh, your singles, your slabs, your wax. We've, we, we run a lot of group breaks in there as well. There's a few different rooms where we have uh, verified group breakers that you can go and join breaks with. Uh, someone mentioned in the in the uh, chat that there's a fire sale going on right now. Those are pretty common. Those run almost nightly where someone will have basically just live auctions running. You know, I guess maybe the fire sale room was the original whatnot, or, you know, um, we've got uh, well, a number of different things, but it's probably the largest discord server in the entire hobby. I would imagine there's over 28,000, almost 29,000 members, uh, active members in there currently. So yeah, it's gigantic. There's again, you know, a chat room for every type of, uh, you know, sport or non-sport at this point and you know marketplaces associated to each as well i think Great i would point. go ahead let me just say too i think it, one thing is really important it's really well moderated um you talk about forums and discord and things like that it's they've done a really good job doug has done a good job getting a group of really solid moderators and kind of like channel watchers and things just to make sure there's no funny business like scammers are shut down and announced really quickly like they do a great job staying on top of any funny business and that's one of the nice parts about being in there is you can feel pretty confident in what you're doing and the environment is going to be maintained well that's cool so it sounds to me like it's kind of like a a hybrid of of a message board a facebook group maybe a bit of instagram a bit of a selling platform whatever platform it may be uh, a whole bunch of things that's pretty cool i should probably try and get more involved allocate some time all right we're gonna say hello to a few people we got lots of people in the chat and want to welcome everybody to the show and if you are new to sports cards live if you're here to see the sports card investor team i want to welcome you to the channel to sports cards live 
invite you to subscribe to the channel. And I want to thank the Sports Card Investor team for being here and sharing that you were going to be here on your socials and on your Discord, which does bring me more eyes. And I just want to let you guys know that I do appreciate that. Let's say hello to, we got Lash Wine in the house. What's going on, Sylvan? 40 breaks. That's, I think he's with us right now. Loud Collector is with us. Studio Sports is here. We're on the air. It's Hobby Talk tonight. Welcome to the show. Adam Hickson, Chad Shipper says another fire episode tonight. Good to have you, Chad. The global sports card investor is here. We got Rod Hill made it to a live. Always like when we get someone who joins a live for the first time. Good to see you. Big C7's in the house. Jeff Hart, former guest, is here with us. Chef Pablo, welcome to you. Metal Cated, Kyle Fritzke, and so on and so forth, so forth. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Jordan Riker just popped in. Nice to see you. It's been a little while. Hey, Jordan. There we go. <laughs> there we go. So we've got a, I've got a several bullet points that I want to cover tonight. We're going to start with one, which is regarding the virtual holiday. This is an event that Sports Card Investor has been producing. I, I'm, is this the third or the fourth year? I know it's at least the third, Kelly. <laughs> This is the third year, fourth uh, edition, I would say. So the first one we ever did was in 2020 during the summer. Um, that one in itself was a very uh, interesting way that we decided to do that. Uh, clearly, you know, 2020 in the summer, the the national was canceled. Uh, and as a result of the national being canceled, we all sort of got together for um, our member or not our member, our our actual SCI team happy hour, um, like right after the news came out and we decided, you know what, w why don't we do something about bringing the hobby together at a time where you can't really be together? So that's sort of how the idea of the virtual was concepted. Um, and then uh, that was maybe a month or so out from the actual dates it was supposed to be happening. It was a very short period of time. That's all I know. And I, uh, yeah, learned how to do a broadcast thing. And then, um, we did it for the Christmas uh, episode for 2020 as well. And that was our first ever holiday episode uh, or event. And now we've just sort of done it every holiday season. So it's our virtual holiday card show now that has been rebranded. Right on. So let, let's ask this then. Obviously, you, you do something for the first time. You have a lot of takeaways. How can we improve? And I'm sure that you guys as a team debrief the heck out of these each year and decide what are we going to change? How are we going to do it better? What are some of the key changes, Kelly, coming into this one, which is just going to be coming up next week, Tuesday, Wednesday? It's right around the corner. That's why we're talking about this first. You have a lot of work to do, so you might duck out of here early. And we wanted to get to address what you are really captaining the ship of this thing. Uh, what are some of the biggest changes that we can expect in the, in the 2023 holiday virtual uh, compared to prior versions? Yeah, so you're still going to get you know, the standard things that come with the virtual, which is, you know, uh, positivity about the hobby, lots and lots of giveaways. You're going to have a lot of great conversations with creators, uh, a lot of great conversations with speakers. We've got some really prominent speakers coming in. Clearly, David um, uh, Linear from Fanatics. We've got Bob Means from eBay. These are two really big guys in the hobby that are going to be coming on talking about, you know, what they're currently doing with within both of their companies um, and, you know, what we can see for 2023 with both of those companies as well. well I would say one of the things that you're going to sort of see differently um, it's going to pretty much remain similar to the way that we did it last year, but a lot of it's going to be implemented in live. Um, Jeremy, as you know, uh, live broadcasting is incredibly hard, especially when you've got 
a bunch of people that are having to dial in and and show up for calls and there can be issues with audio issues with streaming um you know when you do these sort of live broadcasts you really have to pull in a bunch of different resources as far as you know um ndi tech and things like that and maybe getting a little bit too technical but we decided this year um to try a different software, which would allow us to sort of have the capabilities that a news network would in the sense that uh, our guests would be able to call in live way easier and uh, they'd be essentially be able to have an easier onboard uh, on the live front, sort of like you do with a StreamYard here, um, where you're able to pretty much pull people in seamlessly and it'd be really easy for them. Um, but it also gives people the aspect of feeling and seeing it live. So that's sort of what we wanted to play in a lot this year is that almost everything that you're seeing on the broadcast this year is going to be live. So Fanatics will be live. You know, uh, all of these other people, you know, um, Jason Koontz, you've got you, Jeremy, you'll, you'll be coming on live. You've got a bunch of dealers. So you'll still have all of that feel and that information and that, that hobby talk, but it will be live. So we'll be able to see the comments that people are putting in the chat. You know, they'll be able to interact with you, which I think is something that generally the hobby really wants right now, that live interaction, that live, you know, uh, connection with who they're talking to. And then as always, um, we sort of present what we do every year for the virtual, which is funny skits that um, provide um, uh, Jeff in some really weird situations. Because, you know, if anybody can absolutely just make Jeff look bizarre, it's going to be his own team. So uh, I really hope that everybody tunes in um, at eight o'clock on Tuesday night because you are not going to want to miss the opening. It is, it's going to be fantastic. So um, I, that was a long spiel, but basically look for a lot of live interaction, look for live uh, guests and dealers and, and creators and speakers. Um, and also just look for fun and, and entertainment and a bunch of, we're talking over $20,000 worth of giveaways. So tune in. Right on. It's funny. You answered all my, my, additional questions like any any guests you want to you want to preview let's talk about the giveaways <laughs> let, let's ask this then who are some of the companies that are sort of sponsoring it or providing the giveaways uh on your behalf that i that you're going to be giving now you need in order to qualify for a giveaway during the virtual holiday you need to register for the event i received the email to register myself so for anybody who's watching right now that maybe is unaware of it or wants to be eligible to win some of these giveaways, what what do they need to do? Yeah, so right now there's a pre-registration link out. Basically, when you pre-register, you're going to have the ability to register and also get your name on the email list and to which whenever we actually roll into Tuesday for people who haven't registered previously, they'll get that registration link for Tuesday. Um, basically, it will, it will roll them into this lump sum of giveaways for Tuesday. And then there'll be additional... Uh, Wednesday link for you to register for that as well. We just have to keep it as organized and logistically sane as possible. But um, yeah, so on, on your note about the sponsors, you know, we we were really privileged to have um, eBay again as sort of our title sponsor. Uh, we've done every virtual that we've had with eBay, so it's just been a really good partnership with them and something that they continuously want to to build on and do every year because it, it is sort of a fun event to 
take part in. This year, we are are now have an official wax sponsor with Midwest Cards. You know, they've been an official wax sponsor for our channel for the entire year. We've really loved our partnership with them. Um, they're just incredibly great people to work with. Very, very kind and generous people and, and just really smart and savvy business guys. So super excited to have them on as our official wax sponsors for this. So, you know, when you're when you're getting your giveaway for this event, it's it's coming, you know, from Midwest Cards. So that's super exciting to have on that front. And then, you know, we we additionally have our other partners and sponsors, which is Market Movers. We've got Slab Strong and Stand Up Displays. So it's this really um, just collaborative and joint effort from a bunch of different companies to make this happen and to make this be something that is, you know, beneficial for the hobby. Um, I think I answered all the questions. Well, let, there's one important one. People are saying, let, let's uh, let's drop that link. Is there a link ah, that one you yes. can put in the chat? Yes, I will do that right now. Awesome. Let's do that. Uh, the Dream G23 does ask, when is it going down and will there be shipping to Canada? <laughs> um, yes, there will be shipping to Canada. Um, this is always a this is always a question that's asked. Um, but yes, you know, technically. Yes, there will be shipping to Canada. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good to know. Good to know. Well, that that sounds great. It's always nice. Uh, people love giveaways. That's for sure. But the content uh, is always quite rich on these on these uh, virtuals, which you guys have been doing for a few years now. And um, yeah, I think I think it's it's exciting. I'm I'm happy to to be coming on. I think I'm coming on 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 Tuesday, which is the the first night. So for everybody who might not have caught it, the virtual holiday by Sports Card Investor presented by eBay, I think is maybe the right way to say it, will be happening next Tuesday and Wednesday, and it will be on the Sports Card Investor YouTube channel. Is that the only place where people can see it? Will it be on your Discord or anywhere else as well? It will It will just be streaming to YouTube at that time. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, we have uh, WIW says, pretty new back to the hobby after years away and love what your team is up to at Sports Card Investor. Very nice. Zach, welcome to the show. Says the virtual is one of my favorite videos on YouTube. Just got all my entries in yesterday. Thanks for all you do, Jeff and team. Very nice. We're going to get the link up here shortly. Uh, if, if none of you can put it in the chat, which I think might work, if you do that, you can send it to me in private and I can try and put it in there myself. We can yeah, also I'm add it in private right the, now. We can also add it to the video description uh, once this is all over. So uh, okay, here we have it. I'm just going to copy this really quick and throw this into the chat, which will then push out to several different platforms. So uh, there it is. There it is. Uh, Luca Nation Network has joined the show. Friends of mine, friends of the channel, and a great podcast in the space. They're up and to also episode. guests on the virtual. Also yep, guests on the too. virtual. Yeah, I believe. I believe Luca Nation has done like 6,468 podcasts so far. So if you want to go on. They've a got marathon. us all beat, Jeremy. They've got us all beat. They got yeah. energy for days. I know. Cage, Cage and Andrew do a great job. They Always do. entertaining. They, they certainly do. All right. Anything else you guys want to mention about the virtual? Anyone else on the panel? Jeff, Teapot, Doug? We're just excited to do, it's a great way to end the year. It's completely free. It's a free event. Everybody show up, you know, and it's just, it's fun. It's just fun. And it's all, it's all the, a lot of the top names in the hobby. So it's just fun. Tons of giveaways. Great way to end the year. 8 to 11 PM Eastern time, Tuesday and Wednesday on the Sports Card Investor YouTube. Uh, yeah, just join. It'll be great. Perfect. All right. Good stuff. Okay. Let's, uh, let's switch it up now. Let's 
do a year in review. Let's talk about what's happened over the last one year, hobby-wise, sports card investor-wise. I'll kick it off a little bit here uh, talking to you, Jeff. So, I mean, seen you throughout the year at various shows. Uh, at the Toronto Expo just last month, only a few weeks ago, we you guys were there. We sat on a panel together on the main stage and talked about the hobby, talked about creating content. Um, and I'm going to actually jump right into something because this is a video that you just put out like two days ago. I watched it yesterday and it's a video, I believe it's titled The Biggest Car Deal of My Life. And uh, you did it with a good friend of mine, Karn Rye. And this was a this was a huge deal, and I got to tell you that was that was a great video. It was it was very engaging. And uh, why don't you just fill everybody in a little bit on talk a bit about the expo? Obviously, it's in my backyard, which is it's still a four hour plane ride for me, but it's in at least it's in Canada where I am. Talk a bit, Jeff, about the expo, your experience, and uh, and the deal you did with Karn. The Expo is wonderful. I really, really enjoy it. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, the Sport Card Expo is in Canada a couple times a year. The I guess the bigger one's in Toronto. I've not been to the other one. Um, I, I assume you've been to both, Jeremy? Yeah, the other one's in Edmonton. It's uh, he, he's The current owner of Expo has only done it once, but there's been a show there before. But yeah, it was excellent back in April of this year. Yeah, so I've been to the Toronto one now. This was my second time going. And it's just an awesome vibe. There's, there's, I was blown away by the number of longtime passionate collectors. There's so many collectors in Canada that aren't just, you know, folks who got into it in the last couple of years during the boom, but people have been very, you know, collecting for years and years and take it very, very seriously. Um, obviously hockey is king. Um, and, and that's interesting. I find that interesting because when you go to the shows in the U S you see very little hockey in, in most of the shows, almost none, especially like in the Southeast, you see hardly any. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously in, in, in Toronto, it, hockey's king. You see hockey everywhere, and, and that's fun. It's fun to go to a show where you're seeing all kinds of different cards, cards that many of which I'd never seen before. Um, you know, and there are the other sports represented as well. It's not just hockey. You do get a mix of the other sports there too, but hockey is the primary one. But it's a really friendly environment. Um, it's a nice show set up. Uh, and so we've, you know, we've really enjoyed going and they've, the, the, the group that puts it on, Steve does a great job of, of, you know, accommodating us every year when we come and, and uh, you know, just a really good group to work with. So we love, we love going to it and I'm sure we'll be back again sometime soon. Right on good stuff. And, you know, you mentioned that it's not all hockey. There is other sport there. There's, there's basketball, there, there's football, there's baseball, of course, as well as the others. Uh, but let's talk about basketball for a moment because you did do a deal there. And Jordan Riker says, uh, in my opinion, what was the biggest deal of the expo? Or to my knowledge, it was this one that we're about to talk about. I, As I was uh, kind of getting myself ready to do the show tonight, I said, what, what shirt am I going to wear? Well, I wore, I wore this one. I don't, have the <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have the card you traded for, but I have the card you traded away. So, um, you know... It's a it's a big trade uh, that that you made. Is there anything you'd like to listen? Everyone can go to the Sports Card Investor YouTube channel and watch the video in its entirety. It's not that long; it's twelve or thirteen minutes. Uh, but and it was very engaging. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, but is there anything you'd like to talk about? Like you you said, this is this is the biggest deal of your life. You you were having those feelings that people have when they do the biggest deal of their life. You could see it in your face. You went you you pulled Doug aside at one point in the video. And you asked him for his advice 
and he asked you a key question, which I thought was almost the best advice he could have given you. So you're fortunate to have Doug there to, to bounce that off of, but what would you like to like maybe tell the audience, what was the question that Doug asked you and how were you feeling when you're about to trade about $300,000 worth of cash and product in one deal? It was, it was a wonderful trade. So so the genesis of it was when I, I, so, okay, well, first of all, shout out to, I got, I brought this out of my vault. I, I figured you'd ask about it. So I got my little Zion slab case junior here. I love these color ones they have. Shout out Zion cases, uh, promo code SCI for 10% off, by the way. Um, I love these little things. So I, um, I, uh, I, I went, so I've been building a collection here of all of the like the refractors right so i've got like this is this this is just the uh that's that's the 2003 lebron james tops chrome that's just the base card but i've got that in a black label 10 so that's you know that's pretty wild then i got the refractor in a 10 with a gold label i've got the black refractor in a 10 i have the x fractor as well in a 10 although i don't have it with me and so the one that i needed was the gold. And then that's the complete set. That's all there was in 2003 tops Chrome. There, there weren't any other refractors, you know, that's all there was. And so that would give me the complete, you know, 2003 rookie rainbow, so to speak of LeBron James. Right. So I've been wanting to pick up a gold, but you don't see him go on the market very much. And I've been, you know, they're obviously really expensive and I've kind of been hanging back on the sidelines. And when I was at the Burbank show, there was a guy there who was shopping around a gold and, and I had a couple of dealers tell me this, but he was looking for uh, $250,000 in cash. And by cash, I mean, he wanted bills. He wouldn't accept a wire transfer. He wanted actual bills. And I, and so I, I was interested in getting the card ironically it was this exact card i was interested in getting the card but i'm like i i can't go i'm not gonna i'm not carrying two hundred fifty thousand in, in actual hard cash with me well sasha t ended up buying it and then sasha t flipped it to somebody who then flipped it to karn and karn had it at the sport card expo so this thing's changed hands like three times in like a couple month period and i didn't i didn't have any idea that it was going to be at the sport card expo one sold on golden uh, the same grade BGS nine one sold on golden a couple months ago for 270,000. I bid on it and I, 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 I didn't win. I think my max bid was, was 250 or 260. I, I just got a little bit outbid on it. Um, I didn't win and it wasn't as nice of a copy. And so I was like, man, I was like, I really wish I got in that one that was floating around the Burbank show but then when it went to Sasha, he wanted more for it. And then when it went, it kept flipping and everyone wanted more for it. And so then I show up at the Toronto show and it's there in Karn's case. And I'm like, whoa, that's the one, you know, that that's been shot. You got it. And he's like, I got it. And I'm like, okay, I, you know, this, so I kind of, as soon as I saw that he had it, I wanted it. But then the question is, well, what am I going to pay for it? Right. And what are we going to do? And so I was a little iffy at the concept of coming out of pocket for, 270,000 plus dollars in cash. He wanted 275,000 cash. I was iffy at this moment in time with the market continuing to decrease. Um, you know, we've seen cards fall off in value, continue to see cards fall off in value every month. And so I'm like, ah, do I really want to put 275 out now? Or do I want to wait? 
you know, be patient on it and and see where it's at in three months, see where it's at in six months. And maybe I scoop it up for 200. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's down there or something like that. Um, but you don't see them come on the, on, on the market very often. And I said to him, I'm like, well, would you be interested in doing a trade? Cause frankly, if he said no, then I probably wouldn't have done it just for all cash. But he's like, I'd be interested in doing a trade. And so my mind immediately went to my 86 Fleer Jordan in the, in the PSA vault, because I have a secret for you, Jeremy, that I'm going to share. And the secret oh. is that I own two of them. Yeah. And this is the, this is the nicer, the two copies. So I, I evaluated the two of them side by side. And the one that Karn got is very nice as well. But this, this copy is an absolute exceptional, like unbelievable top, in my opinion, top 10% copy. Um, and, um, and so I had bought two of them with the idea that I would flip one and that the other would, um, you know, the others, this one in particular here, I would keep in my PC forever. The one that I bought to flip, I bought last summer for, it was around $215,000 is what I paid for it. Now, the entire sports card market has been beat the heck up since last summer. We're talking summer 2021 that I bought it for around $215,000, right? The fact that that card is still trading at $180,000 today, to me, it's overpriced compared to what the market's done. Right. So I think, to be honest, that there's some Jordan buyers out there, that some Jordan collectors and people with Jordan collections that are continuing to scoop those cards up when they hit the market because they're they're wanting to preserve the price. They're wanting to hold that card up in high esteem. You know, in high esteem. They're wanting to kind of keep the price up there. And, um, and so to me, that card, like, if you look at the Jordan, like I bought that card last summer for two, two fifteen or whatever, it's one eighty today that LeBron gold last summer, you know, some of LeBron stuff like this LeBron black refractor last summer was $400,000. And I picked up this copy a couple months ago for around $110,000. So this thing's down 75% since last summer. The Jordan 10 is down like 20% since last summer. Right. So I was like, you know what? I don't mind moving out of that Jordan 10 and taking the little bit of loss on it when so many other things have collapsed a lot further. I don't know if that Jordan 10 price is going to hold up for that much longer up where it is. Now the LeBron could very well fall too. Um, you know, the LeBron could come down, but the, the um, you know, comparing the two cards side by side, since I already have a Jordan, I feel better with the LeBron long-term because the, I mean, the LeBron's number to 50. It's a more rare card. It's And, it, and I, I really feel like it's an exceptional copy. And, and here it is, by the way. What you I love it. about it, it's, it's a nine, but it's perfectly centered. I mean, it is, the centering on it is really outstanding. Um, really the card looks in absolutely outstanding condition and it's, uh, it's numbered 50 of 50, which is also cool. So to me, that adds a little bit of, you know, kind of wow factor that it's Here, numbered 50, let's, 50 let's, as well. Right. Let's see the front of it again. Now that I got you on the big window. Yeah. The centering on it, Jeremy, it's just really, really solid. So many of these are not well centered and this one is truly like 50, 50 centering. 
Yeah, and you know, you just made the comment. You said it, it, it's more rare than the Jordan. I mean, that is the understatement of the episode so far because it is extremely rare. There's only 50 copies of that card ever produced. Meanwhile, there's tens of thousands of, of Jordans, if not hundreds of thousands, and there's 320 PSA 10s. 320 of them, it's a, lot of, it's a way bigger number than 50 LeBron gold refractors. And not only is it rare, the gold refractor, it is a stunning card. It is gorgeous to look at. It is, I mean, we we yeah. geek out on cardboard. That's what we all do. So, but it, but but in line with that, it is that nice of a card. And um, I don't blame you for making that deal. We had one comment that came in a few minutes ago here. Adam Hickson. He went. He says here that reading the comments on the D, on the video on your channel, half the people saying Jeff won the deal, half saying Karn won. That's how you know it was a good even trade. I think that's a great comment totally and a great takeaway. And when we're like when you walked away, you know, you, you went out of pocket for some cash, you gave up a, some, some really nice cards, but you came away with the best card in the deal, which Karn mentions in as a negotiation tactic. Well, hey, Jeff, you're getting the best card in the deal, which is always an important thing. Um, how, how how have you been feeling about it in the last couple of days? And 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 then finally, tell us what Doug asked you. I think that's important, and then yep. we're gonna move on. Yeah, I, I well, so I feel great about it. I'm super happy. Whenever you buy a card that you really want for your PC, like a Grail, I mean, this is this is a Grail card for me. Like this is this is the uh, it's the top card in my collection right now. You know, it's the top card in my collection. It's a Grail card, and it's one that I've wanted to get. It completes that set of the joy. It completes the the LeBron Rainbow. So I mean, I can't feel anything but wonderful about it, right? And frankly, even if even if the price on it does drop 100k. I'm still going to feel wonderful about it because I'm going to be happy that it's in my collection. And, and the question that Doug asked, which is a great question, was what's the reason why you're buying this? Is this something you're looking to flip or is this something you're going to hold long term? And my answer to Doug was this is a PC card. This is a grail card. Yes, I think it's a good invest investment. Yes, I'm buying it because I think it's going to be a lot you know, worth a lot more in the future than today. But I'm not selling it. I'm buying it because I love the card. It completes a collection for me. Um, you know, LeBron's the greatest player of of you know the current era, um, and I, I I love having that collection. And so it's not you know where the price is in two years or three years or five. It doesn't matter as much to me. I hope that someday when I pass it down to my son or whatever happens with it, I hope that at that point it's very valuable, more valuable than it is today. But you know next couple of years don't matter. And so that is, that's when Doug said, well, I think this, you know, this seems like a good opportunity to get it. And it, it did feel that way to me, especially with the trade. And to go back to your point, Jeremy, a good trade is absolutely one where both sides, you know, have the opportunity to feel like they got a good, you know, piece out of it, right. That they got something good out of it. And I hope that Karn does extremely well. He got great cards out of it. Like I, he made me give up a lot. He stood firm. He got a lot from me. He got a lot more from me then I wanted to give up. And I, you know, I think that he probably did really well with it. He got some beautiful cards, you know, and, and um, they were cards that I was willing to part with simply and only because I really wanted that one. Otherwise I wouldn't have parted with those cards, but I wanted to figure out a way to get to this one without having to put too much cash out. And uh, that's what I did. So I was really happy with the outcome. And I think Karn is going to do really well, you know, flipping those cards too. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you it is a beautiful card. It, it is a real grail card, only 50 of the maiden. If your horizon isn't to flip it in the next week, month, or year, 
then you can you can wait for it to for for values to go where they're going to go in 5 10 20 30 years whatever it may be so uh, i think it's a i think it was a great deal both ways i think you both accomplished your objectives in the deal congratulations doug let's ask you i mean you were there kind of counseling him what is it like when you're advising somebody who who not only is about to put out $300,000 worth of of cash and cards but is also the person who writes your paycheck. What's it like when, like, uh, do you feel as any sense of responsibility now on this? Like, how, how do you feel? Yeah. So that's a really interesting question because this isn't something that we talked about off camera. This all happened on camera, exactly how you saw it. So I wasn't, it's not like I, I had, you know, a chance to talk to Jeff and, and, and ask him how he wanted me to answer that question. Right. So that, that was an authentic moment. And, you know, I'm there, I am on camera influencing Jeff to spend so much money, money I couldn't imagine having my hands on, right? Um, so it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird telling somebody to go spend almost $300,000 on anything. Um, but, you know, the whole deal itself, I you saw a fraction of it, right? This was hours in the making. And I had a front row seat to all of it. And Karn is such a savvy business person, as we all know. He's got his hands in so many different areas. Um, it was really great watching Karn negotiate. I mean, I've seen Jeff do it a, a ton of times, but I learned a lot just sitting there and watching Karn. And uh, he was very, very uh, stiff. Like, you know, Jeff couldn't couldn't really work around him too much. And, um, you know, just from that alone, I, I think I got a lot out of it. But, you know, it was important for me to find out what Jeff's ultimate goal was. Like you said, if this is not a car that he plans on flipping or selling and then anytime in the near future, then there's not really a way to lose in that, right? And, you know, again, there's only 50 of these cards. There's not a 2003 Chrome LeBron that's numbered any lower than that. That is the most rare outside of, you know, like Upper Deck, um, Logo Man or whatever. That's, you know, that's the, one of the most rare LeBron rookies there is. And I think Karn said this maybe even on your show that as far as modern cards are concerned, this could be one of the most iconic cards that there is out of all modern cards. I, I just don't think there's a real way a real way to go wrong with that. But again, it's easy for me to say it's not my money, right? But again, uh, you know, I had fun in that process for sure. You know, being a part of making such a substantial deal happen in my little own way. Yeah, and I mean, it is. I don't want to under under speak to just how important this card is. There, I think Karn being really firm and and stiff on his pricing or his valuation of the card is because it's a once in a lifetime car to own in many cases. And as, as big C seven says, and it's an eBay one of one, which is kind of a joke in the hobby, but it is the number 50 of 50, which is kind of a, a sexier serial number than, I don't know, 47 or, or 34 of, of 50, right. Or, 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 I don't know, three, like it's, it's number. The only one that would be better would be what? 23. I think that's the only one that could possibly be better. And the one, the one, the 23. So, I think that not only did Jeff end up with what is a grail in the hobby, uh, a, a well-centered copy of it, and one of the three sexiest, which I've never used that term in describing a serial number before, but I'm going to start to, uh, serial numbers that came out of the run altogether. Um, I'm going to quickly go to uh, Luca's comment here. It says, don't lie, Jeremy. You hate LeBron card because LeBron can't skate to save his life. Not true. Not true, Cage and or Andrew, whichever one you are there. Um, I, uh, I don't hate LeBron. I actually liked something I saw from him recently here, uh, on, on his own social media when he posed a question to the press. We'll leave that out of it. Okay. Teapot, I want to ask you now, 
we're going to stay on this topic and then we're going to go to really a, a year in review because like we're kind of not doing that. We're talking about this deal, but Teapot, the deal gets done. I'm sure you're in the discussions. You're talking maybe even rem remotely, but what was your response? What was your reaction at the very end? Did you approve of this deal? Were you happy for Jeff? Were you like, oh, what'd you do? How did it go over? And even Kelly, Kelly, I mean, you've been smiling and nodding the whole way through. You're into this. So we'll come to you next. But Teapot, your thoughts, Kelly's, and then we're going to get your guys summary of 2022 i was not consulted in the deal uh i was i was here in the in the states uh trying to settle into a new house um uh jealous that i didn't get to go visit the my friends in the great white north um but i i mean i think it's a, a once in a lifetime kind of deal and opportunity made a heck of a lot of sense i'm not a lebron fan but i would agree with doug that's i think i'm trying to remember now but that's certainly one of the most iconic you know, modern era cards, certainly for basketball and um, hard to, hard to contest that LeBron's the best player of this generation. And the one before that, since he's been playing for so long, um, I, I think it was really smart. And so Jeff brought it back to the office and he's like sheepishly giddy. Hey, look at what I got, man. And he's got it like on a chain around his neck, you know, like, check this out. And I, I just looked at it and said, that's a big boy card. <laughs> That's a big boy card. Big so boy card. that was, uh, yeah, not every day I get to, you know, hold a half million or quarter million dollars in my hand and a piece of cardboard, but, um, pretty, pretty cool. Uh, and, and I mean, that was a long time coming. There were cards, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but some of those cards you traded to Karn were from last year's, uh, expo uh in in toronto i think and yeah and what was interesting is i you know <clears throat> i had done decently well on those that was another reason why i traded those like i didn't really want to trade the ovechkin or the connor mcdavid because you know ovechkin's going after the goals record and everyone in canada tells me that mcdavid is you know just the greatest hockey player since wayne gretzky so you know it, it I'll, and i'll take their word on that because they know more about it than i do um but i do i have watched a bit of him and i appreciate uh, i appreciate his game um, but, um, the, the, I didn't really want to get rid of them, but those cards actually did really well on for the most part, like the Ovechkin I bought at last year's expo, uh, for $7,000, I believe. And I got $11,000 worth of trade value out of it. And so like to think about the fact that again, in a year when the sports, I mean, since the last expo, you know, the sports card hobby, this average sports cards down 30, 40% since the last expo. And, uh, you know, the Ovechkin was up. So, you know, it, and, and part of that was because I had it re I had it regraded. It, it came back as a better grade. Um, but nonetheless, it was up. So it's, you know, it's one of those things I'm like, man, I, I don't want to get rid of this card, but at the same time, I've actually made profit on this card in an era where it's difficult to make profit on anything. So maybe I traded as part of this and, you know, get some chips back off the table. Good. Kelly last, last, uh, word will be yours because, you know, you are, uh, I, I feel like, and this, please don't take this the wrong way. I kind of feel like you, like you are, a, a, you kind of want to make sure that everything's going okay with everybody on the team. And you kind of maybe look out for Jeff here and there, that sort of thing. How, what was your response? And cause you seem to, you, you, you recognize the importance of this card. What, what were your thoughts when he came back and had it? Well, I mean, I'm going to just copy what Teapot said, you know, um, the boys were out in, in Toronto um, doing a bunch of stuff. I was back in office trying to do some logistics for a live stream. We were doing literally the same weekend that they were that returned. So my I was heads down all that stuff. And then you know you just see Jeff walking back into the office 
gold chain around his neck, card hanging from his neck. And you're like, well, I, okay, let's, let's talk about what this is. Um, it's one of these things where, and it, this, this sounds, you know, crazy, but you, you see Jeff do so many large deals that in the end result, I'm, I'm happy about the deal because it leads for great content. It's, it's yeah. consumable. It's something that people want to watch. People have been talking about it in the chat. They love seeing deals like this because they love seeing people negotiate. It is this sort of conversation happening between two really strong figures about something that's a very high dollar amount. But I mean, I would absolutely agree with Doug. I mean, when you talk about that card, I mean, it's, it's the first one that comes to mind for a lot of people when you're talking about modern basketball cards. So to, to get that card, and I, I knew Jeff was trying to collect that rainbow. Uh, I mean, he, he's brought that, that rainbow uh, collection into the office, uh, I think since 2020, uh, 2021, just showing that off. I mean, and he's, it's, that's something that he takes a lot of pride in is, is collecting that rainbow. And he shows it off to a lot of people whenever he has the absolute uh, opportunity to. So the fact that he was able to complete the rainbow was, was sort of cool. And I, and I, you know, as, as you will probably see later on, there will probably be a story about that rainbow and that rainbow collection and how he got there. But you, you know, this is sort of these things while it is a high dollar figure. And um, I do a lot with, you know, budgets on content and things like that. And it does sort of like, Oh, but I mean, he's, he's done a lot of high dollar deals and he, he really thinks about the details of it and if it's a smart play and if it's not a smart play. So if he, if he felt good with that price, I think again, as a lot of people are saying, there was a, it was a, a fair deal. And, and, and again, I, I think there was a comment that somebody played, uh, put in the, the chat and I need to find it, but, but Jeff is really good about being absolutely fair when it comes to negotiating trades. I mean, there's a lot that you see on the content that we, that we put out, but there's a lot of content that doesn't make, you know, the cutting floor, but all of these deals have always been fair. And that's one of the things that we always get when we're on the show floor is people are talking about like, wow, that went a lot better for me than I thought it was going to go. Cause they, you know, they assume there's going to be some negotiation that's undercutting, but Jeff is absolutely fair when he trades. So overall, I'm, it, it, it's great for me. It's great for the, for the company because of the, the video, it just came out absolutely perfect. But um, yeah, that, I mean, if Jeff can feel happy walking around an office with a gold chain and a card hanging from his neck and maybe, you know, sunglasses from time to time, it's that's, you know, that's his thing. Right on. Well, I, 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 I know, I'm normally not that obnoxious, Jeremy, but you know, this, this, uh, <laughs> my, hey. my boys at, at, at Slab Strong hooked me up with one of their, you know, slab chains with show your slabs. And so I had a, it was fun. Corey, we had a good time with it. Corey had me wearing one around my neck at the Vegas Industry Summit show myself. So I've, I've been there as well, Jeff. Um, I, I get it. And Kelly, I think the, one of the, something really cool is that it does provide you with content. You are head of content. So that's, that's such a wonderful thing. Doug, did you want to jump in with something? I was going to say exactly what you said to an extent. Like that's part of my thought process too. There's pressure on me. Like, what if I talk Jeff out of this deal and the and the video's ruined? I ruined the video. I ruined the rainbow. I ruined Karn's story. Jeff's immediate. Uh, sorry, Doug's immediately fired. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, so what if I talk him out of this and, and everything you know goes south from there? So there's pressure from that standpoint. Like, well, it would be good content. Maybe I, I should nudge Jeff to spend this outrageous amount of money. So. Um, you know, that that's part of the thought process too, as much as I hate to admit it, the pressure is on to like, make a good video as well. Yeah, I, I will, sure. I will pull into this because it's, it's a similar concept, right? A high dollar 
amount for a card that Jeff bought at a card show. And uh, Star Jordan, this was a this was a deal that you know I see him talking to this guy in the corner as I'm trying to do logistics at the national, and it looks like a serious conversation. And you always know whenever Jeff is having serious really deep conversations with some somebody that a lot of money is about to get spent. So it was one of these things where, you know, he turns and he's like, we need to film this. And I'm like, oh God, okay, let me round up the crew and let's, let's figure out how we get this shot out and, and what the pacing of this is going to be. And, you know, there was a period of time where, I mean, it, exactly to the, to the cue of the video, Jeff has this conversation with this guy. And it's like, you know what? I need to get opinions. And that day, we are going around and actually talking to people before he goes back and agrees to spend 100k on this card but i mean th these are these are the types of things that people one like to see but it also just it tells the full story of of the deal and i think that that i think is the biggest part of it because when people are joining in the hobby they need to figure out how they themselves can get to these points of negotiation and getting you know quality feedback from people that you trust and that type of thing but yeah, I mean, it, it it definitely definitely does not help YouTube. Uh, I mean, it doesn't hinder YouTube views at all. For sure not. For sure. A couple things on the card, you know, it's funny. Jeff mentioned who the prior owners were within a very short period of time. It's just indicative of how small this the, the hobby world can be on big cards. They move, they can move from person to person pretty quickly. And then finally they end up in that collection that's going to hold it for a very long time. I have a feeling that, as Jeff indicated, that card is going to be out of circulation now for what could be decades. I think that's that's pretty cool. A really good thing. Another comment I want to make, because Kelly, you just said that, you know, and then we're out going, getting opinions. I think it's a really important thing in the hobby, especially for, for all of us out there. When we're at shows, we're doing deals online, whatever, to have like a core group of people. Maybe even you don't know them that well. You just know them from IG or wherever that you can reach out to and, and get an opinion from. And there's no shame in that. Even myself as a 42 year hobby veteran dealing in cards i still get opinions from people on deals of a much smaller magnitude than three hundred thousand dollars so i just want to say kudos to to you jeff for not being too you know overconfident in that and to really thinking to yourself you know you need to get just like a sanity check sometimes and uh so good on you with that okay all that out of the way I got to bring up a question from Richard Hungwell. He says, question for Jeff. And he's tipped me 10 bucks. Like, so we're going we're gonna to bring it up. He says, with Tyler, that's Teapot's meteoric rise to stardom. Are there any plans for sports card investor to capitalize on this with merchandise such as bumper stickers, Christmas ornaments, Halloween masks, shirts, etc.? Yes, Teapot as well as Doug uh, are are they've got their fan groups now. They've got their ardent supporters. I think this is a great idea. We we got to figure out how to capitalize on the name, image, and likeness of uh, Teapot. Unlike unlike college athletes, I think contractually I own Teapot and Doug's name, image, and likeness right now, and so I got to figure out a way to make some money on it. I like it. Maybe you got to cut in Richard Hungwell, who came up with the idea. And I've already made my commission. I made a $10 commission on it. So I, I'm happy with that. Thank you, Richard. And welcome to the show. Welcome to the channel. All right, guys, 2022. It's been a, you know, 2020 was, was an interesting year. We all got to understand really quickly what the impact of the pandemic was going to be on the hobby. Uh, 2021 was an, uh, just a, a completely crazy year in the hobby as far as card values go, 
uh, content, the, the, the proliferation of content coming out on all different platforms. And then we're into 2022, which is almost like a bit of a reset, I think I think I could say. And I want to kind of go go across the panel here and just ask you guys, what are what were some of your biggest takeaways from 2022? What did you learn about the hobby in 2022? We're going to end with you, Teapot, because you've already primed me that you've got a bit of, you got some words to say on this. So let's start with Doug. Uh, if you're ready, Doug, what were some of your takeaways what did you learn about the hobby in 2022? Well, I learned a lot about volatility of, of the hobby, not just in terms of like the financial side of the cards themselves, but the drama within the hobby, right? There was so much more of that this year than I've ever been exposed to. And I think it's just kind of the growth of the creator space uh, for me anyway, to see all these new creators come into the space. And then you see a lot of, weird infighting within the space. And I learned a lot about how to handle some of that stuff because that's very new to me. Um, so that that's probably, unfortunately, one of my biggest takeaways. But later in the year, one of the things that, uh, you know, is a positive takeaway is how collecting started to move more towards the forefront. As cards became less of a, uh, you know, you used the word sexy earlier, <laughs> as they became less of a sexy investment, the card market starts to go down the collecting aspect started to come back into it a lot more. Uh, and that's the thing I talk about when people ask me how the Toronto Sport Card Expo is, right? My biggest takeaway for that show specifically is it's far less transactionary than a U.S. show. It's not so much about flipping and buying and selling and profit margin. There's so many more just pure collectors there. And it feels good to be at that kind of show and, and kind of have that sort of energy. So through the second half of the year, as maybe the card market started to go down, collecting started to go up. And we can see that through, um, you know, people are still consuming hobby content at a really high rate. And you know, people are still out there going after PC cards and things of that nature. And they're still having fun doing it. It's just, you know, maybe from a dollars and cents standpoint, um, it just give us, gave us an alternative towards the end of the year. Yeah, no, great, great observations. I'm, I'm with you pretty much all the way through there. So thank you for, for those insights. Kelly, is there something you'd like to, to add to this discussion? I, I feel like you're often just heads down logistics. So forgive me that I don't know how in tune you are with, but you, you must have learned some really cool things this year. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about the question, and it was actually to two things in particular. I well, one, I am a, I am very heads down, which doesn't always uh, service me very well. You know, we go to card shows, and I'd I'd love to get to walk and look at cards and visit booths and all that stuff. But as you know, uh, I run around shows with my head chopped off, um, so I don't really you know get to experience a lot of that. But I will say one of the things that I've noticed this year um, is a growth in the, of the women in the hobby. Um, it's something, you know, when, when 22, when, when I came to the company and then I sort of started seeing all the creators and we started working with people, there was a, there was a group of women that, that we interacted with, but as these years have gone on, and especially within this past year, you see an explosion of new women creators or, or women just in general who have been in the hobby for a while, actually taking a, a forefront and a step front of the line and, and into the limelight. In some facets, and I think that's absolutely incredible. I, you know, it's going to be something where you know the inclusion of women, the inclusion of diversity, the inclusion of just all types of people is going to be something that helps the hobby grow. And that sort of comes into my second point of what I've seen from this year is an overall, um, an overall cultural 
awareness of cards. Uh, I don't know if, if that's frames it correctly, but if you look at pop culture and you look at just the general viewer and the general consumer, there's a lot more awareness of sports cards. You started to see a growth in 2020. Mm-hmm. Alexa, stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it was a reminder to, to, to do something for work. <laughs> so, but um you know, in 2020, you saw, you know, this explosion, the sports cards, uh, you know, within the market, within this this universe. And then in 2021, that started to sort of bleed out into sort of pop culture. But in 2022, you started seeing, you know, even just for the for the World Cup in general, like um, they the actual U.S. men's national team has done com- campaigns where they frame their players in this sort of sports card specific Ad. So you're starting to see, you know, with the fanatics uh, buying of tops and and just general um, sports marketing with ESPN, with Fox Sports, with, you know, um, Thursday Night Football, you're seeing these cultural shifts where the general consumer will understand and will be sort of exposed to sports cards, whether that's uh, a call to their past, whether that's a call to something that they knew from their childhood or whether that's a call to something that they haven't experienced before. So I think that that's one of my biggest things is just the general growth. While it's a slow trickle right now, I do see it being something that's leading to a precipice where I feel like the dam is going to break next year. Um, and we're going to just see this major inflood of uh, general consumer knowledge and awareness of the hobby. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that you're still here on the show tonight and answer because, you know, you bring up the culture piece, you bring up the women piece. And it's really those are two things that have uh, I, I've noticed as well. So thank you for, for you know, just speaking to those. I think that's really, really important observations. Um, you are you going to stick around to the end of this question or do you need to get going? Uh, I am going to watch from YouTube, but I, um, I, I have some logistic emails I owe you and a bunch of other people, and I want to get it out tonight before uh, it's too late and people are like, why is this woman emailing me at one o'clock in the morning? So <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for being, being on the show. Appreciate having you. It's great to have you and uh, always good to see you, Kelly. We'll see you again soon, I'm sure. And uh, we'll see you next, actually next week. So thanks for joining. Of course, it was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. And I'll I'll see most of you within like two days. So <laughs> get well rested. We've got uh some soccer in the morning. Oh yes. Oh yeah, yep. we do. Yeah, we do. Uh which by the way, please don't slack me from from nine o'clock to, to twelve thirty. I will not answer you. Bye everyone. Right. Bye, <laughs> Kelly. Thank you. All right, Jeff. We're we're gonna go to you now for uh, we're gonna end with teapot. Jeff, we're gonna go to you. What were some of your biggest takeaways? What did you learn about the hobby in 2022? Well, you know, I mean, I guess I could talk about it from the market standpoint, right? I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of volatility this year. We've seen prices drop considerably. We've talked about that some, as they have for all forms of, you know, alternative assets, as well as, you know, a lot economically. I've seen, as a result of that, you know, Doug kind of mentioned um, negativity and, you know, content creators getting in clashes with one another. I think there's just a lot of people that are grumpy at the moment because their card values have dropped. I think that's what it is. People are grumpy. And when people are grumpy that their card values have gone down, they veer towards negative stuff and negative content and drama. And and that's, you know, it's human nature. It's okay. Um, I try to look at the fact that, the you know, I don't, I don't like the fact that 
card values have come down and the market has come down, obviously, because I, I own a lot of cards. And so a lot of the cards that I own have come down in value substantially over the course of the last year. I don't like that fact. On the other hand, I try to think about the hobby more holistically. And I'm invited, you know, I'm, I'm invested in the hobby in multiple ways. I own a bunch of cards, yes, but I also own multiple businesses, right? I've got, we've got obviously sports card investor. We, we make money from our content. We have market movers. We have the sports card investor app, which are big sources of revenue for us. I'm a significant owner in Slab Strong. I'm a significant owner in stand-up displays, right? These are other companies doing things in the hobby. I did an investment in a company called Dibs as well. And I'm going to continue to do investments in other companies in the hobby so that I'm invested from multiple angles and not just having my cards. So when I think about the hobby holistically, I say, well, it's bad for my cards that prices have come, come down. What prices coming down has done is it's made it much more approachable for somebody new to get back into the hobby again, because it was not approachable. It was not approachable for new people to get into the hobby or for kids to get really engaged in the hobby in the first half of 2021, not approachable, really for most of 2021, not approachable, much more approachable today. Like, you know, wax prices are getting down to reasonable standpoints. You can find wax on, on retail shelves. Again, um, cards, have come down to a point where you can actually go to a card show and not have to bring that much money yet pick up some really nice cards. So, uh, you know, grading fees are down to where you can grade cards now for 15 bucks, not $110, you know, as it was for much of last year. And so, you know, so it's everything's becoming more affordable and that's actually really good for the long term. That's really good for when we see interest again. Uh, new people coming in for for them to actually be able to come into an environment where it's more sustainable for them to be able to collect and afford to rip a box. I'm enjoying it from that standpoint. It was painful for me to like, you know, even though I could afford it, I shied away from like my son, you know, we're going to a card show. My son's like, dad, I want to rip a box with you. Let's rip a box of the new select football or let's rip a box of it. I want to, I haven't opened the new prison football yet, dad. Let's, can we buy a hobby box of prison? Football? I'm like, do you know how much that costs? And you know, like, do you know how many, what dollars of cards you're going to get out of that box when you open it? I'm like, I just like the math is running through my head too much. I can't do it. I'm like, I just like, I can't enjoy it because I'm like, that box is insanely expensive. We're going to get nothing out of it. You know, now I don't mind it as much. Like now we'll go to a card show and I'll be like, yeah, you know, we can, you know, it's and it and prices, you know, some of the boxes are obviously still really, really high, but there's now products that you can get into much more approachably and not feel horrible about it. Um, you know, I bought I bought my son a box of immaculate college football. I love the college football products. I love the I love the patch autograph products. I'm a sucker for those. I bought him a box of immaculate college football for us to open together for 275 bucks. Now that's not cheap. I'm not, I'm not saying that's cheap for a box, but I bought him a box of that same product last year. It was 600, $650. Now granted last year had a better rookie class and that's part of it. But at the same time, the prices have come down a lot. And so it's like, you know, if I can buy him a box of immaculate college next year for 200 bucks, like, okay, that's all right. That's good with me. Like that's much more attainable than, trying to drop a thousand bucks on a box or something like that. So that's the positive, right? So 
it's been a year of some negative, certainly, uh, but it's also been a year of some silver lining in that negative. And as I think towards the long term of the hobby, I'm enthusiastic for that reason. And the other thing I'll say, Jeremy, is although we've seen card prices come down, we have not seen interest decrease, in my opinion. And one of the measurements we use for that is we look at our own content consumption at Sports Card Investor, and three of the last four months have been our highest view count months ever on our YouTube channel in history. So it's, you know, it, it's like interest is still there. Like interest is still there. People are interested. They may not be spending the way that they were spending last year, but the interest is still there. And so that to me still makes me very feel very strong about the future. Awesome. You know, if you just think about the Toronto Expo, which was just last month, and uh, I mean, I was set up there as a vendor and it was it was the busiest that I remember it being maybe since 2005 or 2006 when we had the double rookie class in hockey with Crosby and Ovechkin and the cup came out for the first time, which is hockey's equivalent of exquisite. Uh, so, you know, I'm I still think, yeah, values have come down on many cards, but the volume of transactions that that I was a party to that I've seen um, I, I listen, I, I can't speak. I don't see everything going on, but I think the hobbies. This is going to sound a little crazy, but I thought this through the other day. I think the hobby is the healthiest it's ever been right now. I'll give you a quick, I'll give you my quick synopsis of why. Because the values were the highest in Q1 of 2021. That was the peak, but it was so volatile. There were so many people in the hobby just for the flip, the, 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 the five day to five week flipper kind of mentality. Nothing against them. Hey, opportunities there. Uh, but it was very, it was touch and go. It, it, it was, it was, there was risk because prices were going up every single day. And there was a lot of transient uh, participants, I would say. Now here we are a year and a half later, almost, almost two years later. And any of those new people that came into the hobby in 2021, those that are still with us are, that's a good thing. They're probably still with us because they like the hobby, not just the, 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 the prospect of, of quick flips making profit. As well, we have we have a lot of we, like you guys have said earlier. We have a, people are going back to collecting. They're going back to just enjoying buying the cars to enjoy them, not thinking about the money all the time. And I, we're going to get to you, Teapot, but I do want to. I wanted to ask you guys. You know, you do have a data a data and analytics tool called Market Movers, Market Movers X. You have it's a it's a paid subscription service. And I was thinking to myself when when values are going up. It's so much. It's so much fun to have your portfolio in a in a service and watch that value go up every single morning when you log in. When the opposite happens, you see your values coming down very often. It's less fun. It may it takes enjoyment out of the hobby to see at least for 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 me to watch my values come down. And I have up until yesterday, I had a bunch of cards in a in a, a tool like that, and I took them all out because I don't want to see. I don't want to see that. I want to enjoy my cards for what they are, not always be thinking about the dollar value. I'm a long-term horizon hobbyist. I'm 20, 25 years out. Tell me what they're worth in 20, 25 years. I don't need to see the, the day-to-day. All that to ask, and we are going to get to you, Teapot. I promise we're going off the rail here a little bit. But that brings me to the question on, on your experience with market movers over the last year with the values coming down, generally speaking, in the hobby on cards. Have you, how has new, how have you, 
how have you been at, what's the rate of new uh, membership been? Not, you don't have to get specific, but is it, has it fallen? Has it increased? Has it stayed level? And have people that were subscribers in the past dropped off because they're less interested in the values? It's a question for whoever wants it. Maybe Teapot, you're going to have to take that actually because you are you are the market movers guru. Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely have seen volatility. Um, I think the first half of this year or really more like uh, March through July, kind of leading up to the national and a little bit after, uh, there was a lot of volatility. There was some drop off. Uh, we saw for the first time really our numbers start to go down. Um, and I, I think to your point, Jeremy, there's... It depends what your attitude is with the cards and what you're doing with them. <clears throat> if your if your attitude is a long term hold, like like for example my 401k, um, I don't like seeing my 401k go down. I look at that. I meet with my financial advisor. I you know, but I also have a very realistic attitude about my 401k, which is this is what the market does. It it went up and now it's going to come down and it'll go back up. And I'm not changing my strategy uh, at this juncture in my life at my age. So I have an approach. The hobby and your card collecting and purchases, it's different because it is a hobby. Um, and at least for most people, some of the cards they have are, are PC cards or collection cards or are more long-term holds. And so if that's your mindset, like it is with a lot of the cards that I have in my collection on, on market movers, I'm not super concerned about seeing the prices. The reason I think having them in market movers in your collection is valuable is because if they aren't something that you're emotionally attached to, but they're something that you bought for a value-driven reason, maybe to trade up into that long-term Grail PC card, you can see what the price history is far more than just the last 90 days on eBay, which is far too myopic to be able to make a smart decision. And so having that data, being able to track it, you can easily go into your collection and see which ones are the biggest price movers up and down. And if you see something that's moving up and you're like, hey, there's one that I'm not emotionally attached to right now, but there's some op opportunities right now because prices have come down so significantly on cards that I've been chasing. And there's a lot of ghost cards emerging on you know different auction houses and on eBay. Now's my chance. This one's been going up. I have a holistic view of all the cards in my boxes behind me. I'm going to move these. I'm going to take these ones to Toronto with me. And maybe I don't want to move them, but maybe I do if there's the right opportunity. So I think for that reason, I like having it. Um, we, we launched the new version, Market Movers X, uh, on our web version at the end of September. And the reception was fantastic. It has been fantastic. We've seen really strong subscription growth since then. We're, we have more subscribers than we've ever had before. Um, one of the biggest enhancements was making the product a lot more visual. Doug touched on this sort of like, you know, re-emphasis on the collector. And that's something that we have really big plans for with market movers and with our suite of products, our digital products. We want to be able to contribute value to everybody where pricing intersects just exploration and discovery and cataloging and visual. And so we made market movers a lot more visual. There's options to toggle between like gallery views and list views with the data, depending on what you're doing. Um, and that's on 1.1 million cards and nearly 6,000 sealed wax products. And we have very big intentional plans for that to grow significantly and, and hopefully quickly in 2023. So right now we're focused on with the web on, on rebeefing up the infrastructure to set us up for some of those bigger plans in uh, the first half of next year. 
And then the other big push for us is to get the new version of um, our mobile app out. So that's kind of been a little bit of a weak spot relative to the web experience. It hasn't had all the feature set that you have on the web. And um, for people who are more just mobile uh, heavy in terms of what they do, there's a lot of uh, functionality we want to bring to that app. So that should be out probably the first week uh, or so of January um, with a much improved experience. And, and so the only thing, other thing I would say about market movers is um, we always welcome feedback suggestions. Um, if you are using it yourself, send us feedback. If you have ideas, if you've used it in the past and you canceled for one reason or another, maybe it didn't have the cards you were looking for or certain features give us another try or drop us a line on what you'd like to see that would make you, you know, interested in it. And if you've never tried it, then I'll shamelessly say, go, go to our website and you can use a promo code trial to get seven days totally free. And if you don't like it, let us know. If you do like it, let us know. We, we just, that feedback's really critical because we're always trying to look, look ahead and prioritize what's coming next. And it was providing feedback on the market movers app that put you in the chair you're in today. So that's uh, that's pretty cool right there. Mm -hmm. There's a really, a really nice, I call it a testimonial here. Adam Hickson puts this comment in the chat. He says, we talk about the type of collector changing. I think the app has changed and adapted well for where the hobby is at this current point. So that's, that's almost like the best feedback you can get. Yeah, I, I would say. It's I mean, great feedback. And, and that's exactly, as T-Bob mentioned, that's exactly what we try to do with the redesign of, of the new market movers, market movers X for desktop. That's exactly what we try to do is like change it. So it was it was, it, you know, it still has all the price graphs. It's still about, it's still got all the price movements and all that stuff, but it, it's really visual. It's about tracking your collection, enjoying the cards. You can get lost in cards if there, if you want, you know, you can just use it as the ultimate tool to browse through, you know, the million plus cards that we have in the library. It's, it's very, it's, it's, it's like a fun database to explore, even if frankly, even if you don't care about the prices. Um, and so that's what we were hoping to achieve. So that's awesome that that comment came in. Yeah, good. Glad to see that. Uh, okay, so Teapot, back to what we learned in 2022, and I'm gonna I'm gonna delay you by 10 more seconds and just finish off what I was saying. Why I think we're at the 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 hobby is the healthiest it's ever been right now is because all those people that made it through. If you serve, if you came into the hobby at any time starting the beginning of 2020, and you're still in it, that's a win for the rest of the hobby because those are the people who stuck it out. You've stuck it out through the up, the down, and now you're still here. And there's more people now than ever before because of because of that surge we had in 2020, 2021. And I think with that, along with the fact that we've got still fanatics to do what they're going to do uh, by marketing the heck out of our hobby, I think that that's going to help bring in more people as well. So I think we're at a, I think right now is, the strongest it's ever been. I know that might sound crazy to some people, and I'm okay with that. These are my thoughts. But um, let's now go, Teapot. 2022. What were your biggest takeaways? Yeah, and I, I, this is something you know, I've thought a lot about this. We're nearing the end of the year, and I tend to do a lot of introspection and reflecting, especially as we draw closer to a year. I think like a lot of people do, and um, I do think the hobby's healthy in many ways. I think there's things that aren't as healthy. I one word that I would kind of use that I think is happening right now is I think the hobby is kind of in a molting phase. Um, I think it's sort of shedding old layers in preparation for new growth for, for somewhat of maybe a, like a more true Renaissance. The, the last few years was really exciting. It had that euphoric 
you know, stretch. Um, and 2021 was very much that 2020 into 2021, I should say. And everything was kind of fun and flashy and going up to the moon and, and people were making money. And um, that was fun. 2022 has been sobering. It's been different. Um, and as some people like Jeff alluded to, I think have unfortunately uh, been on the wrong side of, of uh, holding the bag, as they say. One thing that's become very apparent to me is um, I've learned that the hobby is is made up of the same exact humans who make up society. Um, it's not some magical safe haven space that's immune to political divides, infighting, um, criticality, cynicism, bullying, scamming, uh, rash judgments, and frankly, just sometimes insane accusations. Um, there are a lot of people in the hobby who are trying to escape that. We talk a lot at SCI about how the hobby is an escape for a lot of people. It's also the way to use that word healthy. Um, there's there's a guy at the Dallas Card Show every, every time they have it. Um, I think it's like keep the hobby healthy or something on Instagram. You know, there's there's aspects for some people. It's it's about mental health. It's about having something that's recreational that kind of takes them out of certain stresses in their life, and um, for that reason, it's it's really valuable. Um, so there's people trying to escape that dynamic, but sometimes if you venture too far outside of your circle, uh, you end up getting exposed, especially this last year, to what has become uh, you know kind of the dark underbelly of the hobby, in my opinion. So how we choose to respond to that is very much up to each of us. We've taken a position at SCI that is to sort of just say, we're not, we're not addressing that. We're not going there. We have very clear principles and a mission. Uh, and it's to try to be a force for good in the hobby. Um, and I, we keep using this word. I think it's really important to sort of maybe put some definition or some clarity to what the hobby is. We, everybody throws that around. It's like in people's Instagram handles all the time. And we just talk about the hobby. So if you know, if the audience will, if you guys will, I'm going to kind of walk through and unpack what I've been reflecting on, and what does that mean when we say what is the hobby? Firstly, the hobby wouldn't exist without the cardboard. It's cardboard. It's it's comprised of all sports, all eras, from the new stuff being printed to stuff that's more than 100 years old. It's non-sports cards. It's sealed in boxes and packs. It's sold as singles. Um, the boxes and packs can be opened by individual consumers like those of us. It can be opened by breakers. The singles can be sold on the secondary market at shows, in private exchanges, on social media, in public online marketplaces. Um, you have all different types of ways of exchanging things, cash, crypto, trades, combinations of the above and other creative ways of, of exchanging uh, cards and, and other collectibles. The hobby is, is definitely a community. Um, it's, uh, you know, you have in-person hangouts, you have local card shops, you have card shows, you have breaker live streams, you have discord servers, social media, web forums, and many other uh, ways of connecting within the hobby in a community format. The hobby's content, uh, you have different media forms, you have YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, podcasts, and, and other things, you know, we our website, uh, journalism. And then within content, you have tons of different topics, tons of different ways that people come in with a unique angle to present content for others to you know consume, as we say. You have card show, uh, card show coverage. You have like historical breakdowns and analysis of cards and sets. You have people doing breaking and box reviews. You have big hit recaps. I like watching those. Uh, people just showing off their PCs. Those are some of my favorite videos personally. 
You have live streams like sports cards, lives, and other things. You have um, the videos like I do on the Market Movers channel for price and data analysis uh, and other, you know, just more analytical type of stuff. It's also sometimes just one or two people rambling and ranting, and sometimes that's that's good, and sometimes it's not so good. And then, unfortunately, I think um, it's also increasingly people drama chasing and kind of clout seeking, and um, that's the unfortunate part. That I think for some reason certain people latch onto that; they grab onto it. Uh, I don't chase TMZ in real life. I don't care about that stuff. I don't want to sensationalize people's downfalls and other bad things that happen. And that's not why I'm personally in the hobby. Now, the last thing, like, like it or not, the hobby is also full of people who are chasing profit opportunity, uh, ways to succeed in their careers and life to make side money. Uh, and they're doing this in a lot of different ways. And none of these things, frankly, is wrong. There's rookie and prospect speculation. It's a lot of fun. There's flipping. There's the medium to long-term investment, as we'd call it. There's definitely theft and scamming, which is rotten. And we try to call it out and we have in the past. And so that needs to be addressed. And then the big one, I think, is there's there's businesses starting. Jeremy, you're working for TAG. We built a business and continue to try to do it. And that is not wrong. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people start getting cranky that someone or those of us who are working within the hobby uh, actually need to have money to take care of our families and, and to survive like everybody else who's participating and has other jobs. Um, we have a few dozen employees. Jeff mentioned that. And we need to be able to, to take care of our, ourselves and our families. So I'm definitely grateful to be working in this industry within the sports card world and um, and really enjoy it. And again, we take it really seriously and and have a very authentic approach trying to be a force for good and growth. And a lot of that with the kids in the hobby and giveaways and free content and all kinds of things like that. So final thought, I think we could all really benefit from one really important distinction, and that is maybe distinguishing and separating the hobby from industry and business. And these two things to me are sort of undeniably, irrevocably intertwined. Uh, it's kind of like um, like conjoined twins being born at birth together. And they better both work together or they're not going to exist. Neither of them will exist. They will both die. Uh, there's massive risk, massive risk, in my opinion, of industry being too myopic, uh, too greedy, corrupt, naive, ignorant, uh, failing to understand that if the hobby doesn't thrive, then the industry itself will die. I'm not a big Magic the Gathering person, but I've seen some recent headlines that they may have kind of tried to front load and put out a lot of product. I haven't dove into that too much, but it does sort of, I think, tie into what I'm trying to get to. And the flip side of this is the hobby also needs to understand sort of basic business and the principle of supply and demand, as well as just evolution. Where there's opportunity, there's going to be people trying to seize the moment and seize that opportunity. And the hobby sometimes likes to be that old man just kind of shaking its fist at the sky and, and getting cranky and saying, you know, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Um, get kind of cynical. And, and that's not how it's always been. And frankly, sometimes it's just it's just inertia. Things get set in motion. Again, there's opportunity and that can't be undone. And it's an unavoidable trajectory, just like what we saw in 2021. 
you know, there are a lot of people who are kind of calling out and maybe rightly so saying like, don't get caught. You know, this is, this isn't, this isn't realistic. This can't last forever. Um, but there's a difference between being sort of like reasonable and talking about it and, and then taking it to a whole nother extreme uh, and sort of ruining everybody's experience or trying to within, within the hobby. Uh, so I think sometimes you accept that, so you pick your battles. And um, if you don't, I think the hobby sort of runs the risk of, of this self-fulfilling prophecy of being its own demise by trying to pretend that the industry isn't a part of it. We don't, nobody, I think amongst us or anybody participating in the hobby, save maybe people who are just diehard vintage collectors and absolutely don't care about anything happening now wants to say industry be damned. We don't want any more grading companies. We don't want any more packs being produced. The whole thing just needs to come to a halt. And so because of that, all of this stuff continues to happen. We're going to look for opportunities to continue to improve it, to optimize it, to look for ways that it's broken and not working well and keep making it better. Um, and that's what I'd like to see from the hobby side, just having a little more rounded out perspective about what, what the, you know, is realistic in terms of business and industry. So that's kind of my, my rant, my spiel, uh, my reflections. And I, I love to hear people's feedback in the comments or, you know, shoot me a DM on Instagram, which I think was scrolling. And, um, that's, that's something I've been chewing on for a long time. Well, I'll kick you off with some feedback. Um, you know, you started off by saying this is, you know, you defined the hobby. It, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's cardboard. That is the product that we are all that, that bonds us all together. And, uh, that it's, I often feel like Sometimes, and I've said this before, you know, if the hobby has you down, go back to your cards, just pull out your cards and enjoy your cards. Cause that's what brought you into this, uh, niche in the first place. Um, we always talk about, you know, Jeff, Jeff had a big, uh, curation event in his collection when he moved out five pieces and brought in the LeBron card. We all, we talk about curating a collection. It's a really important part of the hobby is we all approach it so differently all, everyone's collection is, is different. And I think that's what's wonderful about the hobby is that you can you can learn how other people do it, get ideas. But we talk about curating our collections. We also now in the world of social media and some of the things that you were alluding to, we can also curate the content that we consume. And it's sometimes hard to avoid certain pieces of content or content creators or accounts on platforms that, that, that can actually ruin your hobby or degrade your hobby experience. So I think it's important for hobbyists to also curate your content that you are consuming almost alongside curating your collection itself. You mentioned also that the you learned that the hobby is really a cross section of society. That's a great observation. And we've gotten more and more to that point as more and more people have come in. And if you see issues in the real world, you're might you, you're likely going to see similar issues or type, you know, archetypes, personalities in the hobby as well. And it's just become the reality, which ties into when you were speaking and you, I was about to write, you know, I, when people are speaking on my show, I, I take notes, so I'm not going to interrupt them. And one of the words that you said that had me kind of go like that was evolution, because I was about to write down evolution and you said it right when I was about to write it down, the hobby has evolved. The products have evolved. The, the industry has, has evolved, content has evolved, the, the tools available have evolved, Every, it's, it's evolving. And we have to 
it's like you just have to kind of accept that just the way technology around us in all aspects of our life is evolving everything's always evolving in the world always has been and we're just at this real hockey stick curve in in the history of society right now in the 1900s and 2000s so it's always evolving we got to curate we got to go back to the cards when we need to and you know even though you know the i think uh I don't know if it's Cage or Andrew on the Luca Network uh, account right now, but they, they said, what's, what's the question again? They were joking, but it was, what did you learn about the hobby in 2022? And you t you had some really good takeaways, Teapot. So I just want to thank you for uh, for sharing those uh, on this on this show tonight here with all of us. And with that said, uh, we'll go to you, uh, Jeff. Do we do, hold on. I, I, this, this yeah, we already, already, already went. We did you. We've done Doug. Okay, so we've done we've done the we've 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 covered uh, what we learned in 2022. We're gonna now go on to predictions for 2023. And who wants to start this one off? Who who put up your hand? Whoever uh, whoever would like to kick us off with what you see. Let's continue on with you, Teapot. You're on a roll. Uh, we'll go in reverse order this time, Teapot. 2023. We are a month away. And, you know, a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen. I saw in the comments earlier, someone said, our value is going to go down another 20% in the next three months or so. What's going to happen with Fanatics? Is Panini going to finally be sold? All these different things. You know, I'm with tag grading. We talk about evolution and new new concepts, uh, new technology. It, you know, and I'm curious, is tag going to become a, uh, you know, a grading company that is talked about in the same in same sentences as PSA, BGS, and, and the rest of them. So what what do you see coming in 2023, Teapot? Any predictions? I don't know what's going to happen with card values. I don't think any of us knows for sure. I think there's been a lot of uncertainty. Card values are inherently tied into the bigger economic picture. That's undeniable. Um, so, you know, as things have um, risen and we're, we're good, you know, I think now – if you look at, I look at my 401k, it's not surprising to see my cards coming down. Uh, some things are impacted more than others. Some cards are impacted more than others. And I don't, it's hard for me to be bullish on like another, any kind of a meteoric rise in the next year. I think it's going to, I think, it, you know, maybe best case scenario, we sort of hold steady. Um, I, but again, it's, there's a lot of other factors that are coming into play and, and inflation's a big one. And, um, the overall broader economic picture is a big deal. Uh, I think there's going to continue to be businesses that rise and businesses that fail and fall. And we've seen that's, you know, again, we're sort of coming out of that. This is what I mean by that molting. We're sort of coming out of a window when back in 2019 and 2020, astute people recognized there were different lanes within the broader hobby and the industry associated with it to say, wow, there's some real archaic stuff here that I see as opportunity. And a lot of people came into that space. A lot of people came out and, and tried and maybe have pricing applications. A lot of people have collection management. A lot of people have quicker image recognition. A lot of people have grading businesses that have come and gone and, you know, that have recently come and there's, um, vaults and platforms and all these things not all of them can and will survive they just won't there's not a, there's there's that's too much um it's oversaturation so i think we'll see keep seeing that proverbial sorting of the wheat from the chaff and the best ones the ones who serve their customers and serve the hobby the best and are most committed will excel 
and we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll be here to stay. And so that's the other big thing I think in the coming year, the last thing I would say, I think we're going to continue to see some really uh, innovative partnerships like what we saw recently with, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, the, the MVP buybacks in baseball uh, by tops and fanatics, the, the different things we're seeing from um, different, you know, different grading companies and different auction houses and different, like it's, it's cool kind of the network that's happening. And sometimes you see those networks do this too, meaning, you know, you could have PWCC partnering with this company and this company, or, you know, there's not like this exclusivity all the time happening. Um, even where there are even formal business relationships, which I think is actually a sign of maturity in many ways um, for, from that business perspective. So I think we'll just continue to see more uh, cool things happen that we haven't seen necessarily in the past that'll um, challenge the way it's been done for a long time and hopefully encourage more people to come in and, and get started in the hobby. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to go to a comment from Chris C right here. It says, I have a prediction. More people are going to go back to nineties and prior vintage stuff ultra modern will fall more grading uh grading prices should go down further we need grading competition i.e tag um okay thanks for that uh those predictions from you chris c uh okay let's continue on with what's coming in 2023 doug i feel like we haven't heard from you in a bit so let's go with you uh what do you what, what are you and again it's so i teapot you're right we can't predict where values are i always say i never time the market i just I'm always whatever it is it is. I'll buy or sell in any market. Uh, that's important to know, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Doug, what are you what are you expecting in 2023? Yeah, so I think you, Jeremy, have said some things that I agree with, and Teapot definitely has as well. I think you know when the market was red hot, tons of people entered the space. They wanted to take advantage of the booming market, not just individuals trying to become day traders essentially within the card market, but also businesses which has led to an oversaturation in some particular areas. And I think, you know, once the dust settles in the phase that we're kind of in right now, Teapot called it a molting phase. I believe that, you know, when this all settles, the people that want to be in the hobby and that have earned their way into the hobby, if you're talking about businesses, will, will be the ones that prevail going forward. And I think it's going to be more consistent going forward. Um, but I think in the interim, I think right now we're talking about card prices. If I were going to guess, I think they probably will continue to go down a little bit. I think there's a lot of people right now that are hesitant to make any, you know, maybe big purchases or big investments because they don't know where the bottom is. It's, we always talk about, you know, buying the dip. Well, it could keep dipping. Right. And I think that started to scare a lot of people in terms of, you know, maybe not wanting to get caught at a period that's not the bottom. So I have a feeling that we might see the cards continue to go down as people kind of move into this collection mode right now. But I think going into, you know, maybe first quarter of next year, maybe closer to the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, things will start to even out. And I think we'll start to see things headed in the right direction. Uh, one of the things I'm most optimistic about is going to be Fanatic's involvement into the hobby. Whether or not they do anything with Panini, I think that they probably will, if you made me guess. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if there'd be a full-on acquisition, honestly, but I think maybe there could be some movement there. I don't want to talk speculate too much about it because i don't want people to think i know something that i don't know so i don't want to make a guess and people are like oh he, he must know something i don't i don't know anything about that but i have a feeling that that's just a smart move for both parties once they can kind of get aligned but regardless i think what fanatics is going to be bring to the table is this giant marketing engine and uh, you know we've talked about this a little bit internally and i think what's important is that in the future you're going to see 
sports cards on Monday Night Football. You're going to see sports cards. You're going to see them on every NBA broadcast. They're going to be in your face. When you go to buy your team's you know, favorite T-shirt or favorite hat on Fanatics.com, you're going to be presented with sports card options. You're going to be... It's going to be way more prevalent, the amount of attention this is going to get. There's going to be Netflix shows coming out and things of that nature. People that don't know about sports cards now or that haven't dipped their toe in it, they're going to have so much more exposure to it. Even if just the tiniest fraction of this new audience decides they want to be involved in sports cards, it's going to be huge for our industry, right? So I'm very optimistic. You know, regardless of what current prices are today, I think going forward, there's just so much room for growth. And I think this, you know, added exposure is going to bring in a ton of new eyeballs and new tension and a whole new generation of collectors and potentially investors as well. Yeah. You know, something I always say is that as long as there are sports, there will be cards. And as long as there are humans, there will be collectors. So I don't see the hobby going anywhere at any time. Before we go to you, Jeff, a couple of predictions in the chat. Luca Nation says, my prediction, companies that viewed each other as competition in 2022 will partner up for the good of the hobby. Let's not fight over a slice and instead let's work together to grow the pie. I think that is extremely important and, and well said. Uh, Richard Hungwell says, I'm more optimistic about, th- sorry, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more optimistic about the hobby after holiday shopping credit cards are paid for and tax returns arrive. I see a mini boom in the hobby. Adam Hickson says, buy when others are scared. Am I missing something? Anything other than other, sorry, am I missing any other investment, investing platitudes? And I agree, I, I agree with all those, uh, all those comments. So thanks to you guys for throwing those into the chat. All right, Jeff, you're, ter- you're on. Thoughts on 2023 and anything else that's been said here or in the chat? Teapot and Doug said a lot of good things. I'll just add two more quick things. I think Teapot, I think, uh, I think 2023 is going to be a great year for the collector. Um, if prices do go down further, which I think they probably will go down further, uh, you're, I mean, like things are becoming affordable now, you know, once again, which is wonderful, but you're also seeing a lot of reinvestment in other areas, right? Um, you're seeing, uh, card shows get better and better, like the Burbank card show, um, which was a great hit, uh, this year, the first one that they did, they're doing it again in February. It's going to be four times as big. It's going to be a massive card show. That's going to be a lot of fun. They're planning great events around it. We're excited to be part of the Burbank card show. Um, I think the national this year is going to be better. And the new, the new group that is taking over the management of the national, they're not fully in place for this year's show. They'll be fully in place for the following year's show, but they got a lot of really great plans to grow the national, to make it better, to, to really improve the experience of people coming to the national. That's going to be wonderful. You're going to see technology continue to advance. I mean, here at Sports Card Investor, we're working hard on making the Sports Card Investor app and market movers better and better and better. And it, it's we got big plans for what we want to do with it. And and things like that are making the collecting experience better. Not just not just stuff we're doing, but there's plenty of other companies in the hop in the hobby. And not all of them are going to make it. Some of them are going to drop out, but others will make it. And um, there's there's a lot of reinvestment taking place. So I think 2023 is going to be a great year for the collector. I'm not so sure, you know, strictly from an investment standpoint, I, it, a lot of it depends on the overall economy. I do hope we see a little bit of a of a rally, you know, maybe in January. We saw we saw a rally in January of this year. January was the strongest month of the year from a like kind of a overall uh, car transaction data, at least according to, you know, some of the stuff that we've been tracking. 
Um, so we'll see if that happens again in January this next year. Um, but you know, I, I don't also know that that will necessarily sustain a lot of it's going to come down to how the economy does and, you know, all other aspects of it. Right. But what I do firmly believe is, and I told teapot and I were having conversation earlier today and I said, we're playing a five-year game. We're not playing a next year game. We're not, you know, sports card investors, not playing a 2023 you know, shove all the chips chips in the middle, and and if the if the if if the cards go down another thirty percent, then we're toast and we're you know we're out of here. And you know that's not the game we're playing. We're playing a long term game. We're building a company that we believe is going to be really sustainable for the long term. That is going to do a great job of bringing people educational, engaging, fun content, and really great best in class products to help them track their collection, understand the pricing and values of cards, et cetera. And we're continuing to work on those things because we believe strongly that five years from now, that the hobby is going to be in way better shape than it is today. And it's going to be way larger than it is today. We're playing a five-year game. We're placing a five-year bet here. So I don't know exactly where it's going to be next year, but I feel real good about the fact that in five years, it's going to be in really good shape. And, you know, obviously, you reference fanatics. I'm super optimistic about the uh, about what fanatics is going to bring to the table. I'm also realistic that it's going to take time for us to feel a lot of impact. And I, you know, I don't think we're still going to feel a lot of fanatics impact in 2023. I, I think it's going to you're going to start to see little bits of it. But I, it's a it's a long term game for fanatics, and it's going to be a long term game for us. And so, I'm excited about where it's going to be in five years. That's that's my answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. As am I. I mean, I'm also not in it for a one-year play for me. You say five-year play. That's short-term for me. I'm I'm like a 20-year play. but um, And I think a lot of people are. A lot of people that have been around for a while are. And I'm sure you, you know, from a collecting perspective, are likely in that same uh, kind of horizon mindset as well. Um, but, you know, what you guys all, all did indicate is that the future is unknown. We don't know what's, we don't know what's going to happen to the overall hobby. All we know is how we are going to, for the most, we don't even know that exactly, but we have an idea of how we are going to govern ourselves and how we are going to be active and behaving in the hobby in 2023. And one thing I can tell you for sure is that I will still be collecting no matter what the market is doing, no matter what the charts are telling us, I will be collecting cards. I will be, that, that that's what it comes down to for me is is the cardboard and i i just i just love the stuff for whatever reason it is it uh a lot of psychological we go into a psychological deep dive there i'm sure um but uh you know the constant is we don't know what's going to happen next year but we've had a few more predictions come into the chat so luca nation says prediction for individual card values we will see we saw spikes in january february of 2020 2021 and 2022 i expect the same in 2023 after the holiday spending is done. I mean, that that is an observation, that prediction based on observations that history would repeat itself. So it's hard to argue with that. If you've seen it three years in a row, why not again? I mean, it might not happen, but I understand where Luca is coming from on that prediction. Toa Hang says, I think you're going to see a gradual rise in non-sports as the sports card hobby comes back to collectors. You don't have more hardcore collectors than the non-sports collectors. So Interesting. I always say this, the show is called sports cards live, but we often talk about the non-sport and I collect non-sport myself as well. Not, I don't collect um, TCG, but I collect some, you know, Hollywood and music and that kind of thing. 
Adam Hickson says, I predict prices will go down further, rewarding those who stuck around in the hobby, being able to obtain some cards we couldn't get our hands on in the last few years. Really good point. We're already experiencing that. I'm I'm in a, a group chat with a bunch of Jordan collectors, and they're like, it, it's like they're they're having their lunch, dessert, and everything all at the same time right now. They're getting these cards. It's like, it's it's like, let's see how great of a deal you got. Who got the best deal today out there is kind of the it's a sport now. Uh, right now. So we're, we're already there for the most part. I won't, but we don't know what's coming. It could go down even more. Who knows? Um, okay, guys, we are, we're coming up on an hour and 50 minutes. Uh, it's almost midnight where you are on the East coast. So we did have a couple other more bullet, a couple more bullet points that we we're going to address. Uh, I think we're going to skip them and we're going to go to a couple of final questions that have come in through the chat over the la- over the episode so far that I've starred, and I'm going to go back to a couple of them. If that's what, do you guys have a little bit of steam left? Ten more minutes? All right. Uh, all right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, piece of the game. Welcome to the show. It does say shops and dealers have to adjust to current pricing. We are quick to adjust. So important to be nimble. So important to be able to pivot if you have to. That was a big theme at the Beckett Industry Summit in Brian Gray's keynote speech. I sat right beside you, Jeff, during his keynote speech. And maybe it was a different event, but in any event, he was talking about being able to adapt and pivot when you need to and providing value to your customers. So piece of the game, very astute comment. And thank you for that. Thank By you. By the way, uh, I hear I've never been a piece of the game, but I hear great things about that store. Really great it, things about that store. I want to get up there sometime. So do I. It, look, it looks amazing from I've seen several pictures and they've invited me up and I, I can't wait to get there. Thank you, Card Stories, uh, for being here tonight. So I'm going to go to a couple of questions that came in uh, throughout the show, throughout the episode. Not a lot, not a lot that we're going to go back to, uh, but um, okay. Let's, this was a funny one from Jordan Riker. He said, what card from your collection would each of you wear around your neck? If you could pick one, Jeff, is it still the gold LeBron uh, refractor rookie? Well, that's what I've been wearing around, but uh, people always ask me what my favorite card is. And that's, that's a hard question to answer. Uh, Cause you know, I mean, I got so many different types of cards. I could pull out a Tim Tebow card or something like that, you know, but like um, uh, I've got a, I, I've told the story a couple of times, but one of my favorite cards is um, I have a, a Luca Trey, uh, Luca Trey Young. Uh, card from Immaculate, where they're both it, they both on card autos. Card number one of forty nine. Um, I thought it was such a cool card, and that one was symbolic to me because I really got back into the hobby this time around, kind of big in twenty eighteen. And of course, you know, so Luca and Trey, like I was there as as all those products were coming out, you know, and so I was that was my first kind of reinvigoration into the chase of ultra modern cards was around Luca and Trey. And so um, uh, that card in particular has like kind of a lot of personal meaning to me because it it was one that reminds me of, you know, the guys who I was chasing the most. Um, And um, it's it's a cool card. So that's that that one might be one of my wear around my neck. Teapot, what about you? If any if you could have any what card would you wear around your neck if you uh, if you had the opportunity? Uh, It have to be my Kobe. 1996 finest airs gold refractor that I picked up at the national this year. Um, it's a PSA eight. Uh, it's, it's definitely a little off center, but that was, that card is, that's, that's it. That's my childhood. That's, that's the nostalgia. It's a beautiful card. One of the most beautiful cards of the nineties, in my opinion. And 
Um, second to that would probably be my my 2012 Prism Gold Andre Drummond BGS 10. That sort of encapsulates my PC. That was the card I was after for a long time that I that I won on my final bid on PWCC a few months back. I was like, I'm, I'm out after this, and I got it. So nice. Yeah, Tiba, I got a question for you about that card, the the Kobe. Um, the finest cards that you know you can get them with the coating you can get them without the coating this was a really big purchase for you it was an important purchase obviously a card you loved is this is a question I'm meaning to ask you i could ask you around the office but i'm gonna ask you now live here you chose with coating right your your yeah. copy's got the coating on it right it, it does what yeah. was that decision like why why the with coating uh opportunity uh okay i i saw i saw it i aesthetically i'm I'm team without coding aesthetically. Um, and I kind of wondered about this. I was looking, I was like, oh, maybe it's an eight because of the coding, but it's definitely off center. Um, so it, maybe it would go up to a nine, but um, I probably would rather have one just in terms of like pure PC without the coding. Uh, but um, people love the coding too. So maybe it's like a authentic piece of history. It's better. I I don't know. I've gotten into, Adam, into this with Adam many times. He's He's team coding, and uh, so I'd probably prefer it without. But I saw it there, and I was able to work out a deal, and that's why I have it. <laughs> the card, they, they just look so much better without the coding. They they yeah. just they shine that you can actually see what they were, how they were meant to look. It's either do you want the card as it came out of the pack, as a real pure traditionalist would tell you would 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 say, or do you want that it was meant to be enjoyed and viewed and consumed, and that would be without the coding i'm a no coding guy because i think the cars just look so much nicer they so, do yeah but that's a each to their own and there, there's not i don't think there's a right or a wrong answer uh for that for sure so but nice nice questions and thanks to the people who have uh been in the chat and have like big c7 was really active tonight uh thanks for subbing to the channel and thanks for coming out to the episode tonight here's a, another question from jordan Riker for you jeff have you considered <laughs> going to a show in disguise so you can explore the show more anonymously. Have you ever had, had that thought? Yeah, it's not a crazy question. So I did that actually. <laughs> I did that actually. The um, the national, not this year, but the last year at the national, it was uh, we were doing a bunch of content the whole time. I was I was getting stopped a lot, and you know, tons of wonderful people there, and and talking to them and getting photos and everything. And I had like a the final day, the Sunday. We were wrapped on all the content. The whole team flew out. We weren't filming on the Sunday. And I had a few hours before I had to leave and go get on my flight. And I said, and this was two years ago. So, so um, you know, people were still wearing masks. Some people were, right? So I, um, I said, okay, I really want to go. I really want to enjoy the show. I want to explore the show floor. But I know if I walk back over there by myself. I'm going to get stopped a whole bunch of times and in its photos and it's going to be difficult for me to work the whole show floor. So I put on a mask and I put on a pair of glasses, a uh, pair of sunglasses and I wore like a hoodie and I just, and I just, I went, I still got, I still had, I still got stopped. I think seven times by people who still figured out it was me when I was like talking to somebody or something. But um, at least I was able to uh, uh, navigate and actually have a, a more of a normal experience at a show. You do miss that a little bit. I will say, like, you know, there's a there is a danger in turning 
any hobby that you love into a business. And, you know, I did this, uh, this isn't the first time I've done this. I did this, um, uh, back in, uh, the early two thousands. I, I was, a I love ice cream. Ice cream's like a big thing. I love ice cream. And so I love Ben and Jerry's my favorite ice cream brand. So I ended up opening up three Ben and Jerry's ice cream stores in Gainesville, Florida. And there's, there's, once you become the operator, once you're actually working in the ice cream business, it totally changes the perspective, you know, it, 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 and it, and it can steal a lot of the fun away, unfortunately, because it becomes a business. Right. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's the one thing with like being in the hobby and like people have this dream, everybody has this dream. Like I want to work, I want to work in the area that I love and whether for a lot of people that sports cards, right. I, I want to, I want to get, I want a job in sports cards. I want to work in sports cards because sports cards are what I love. You know, be slightly careful with that because uh, it it will turn your hobby and your passion into work. And it, it's work. It's work for all of us. And Doug and, and Teapot and I, we all love cards, but there's also the work aspect to it, you know, as well. And I'm sure you experienced that some, Jeremy, as well. Like, I'm sure, you know, you're working in a full time now, right? So, and I'm not saying don't do it. Obviously, I love it. I'm super happy that I did it. I'm thrilled that I did it and, you know, uh, look forward to continuing to do it. But there is there is that aspect that it's not, it's, it's you know, it's, I can't just, I can't go to a show and just freely get lost in the cards and enjoy the moment of being at a show the way that I was able to in 2018 and, you know, early 2019. Yeah, uh, I, I hear you. And it, it's funny that you, you you gave it a try and you were still identified at least seven times. So, uh, but I do understand, you know, the 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 desire to to go back to when, you know, you didn't have a prominent YouTube channel with over 200,000 subscribers and were a very recognizable figure in the hobby. So, okay, we're going to go to a couple uh, comments and then we're going to we're going to wrap this up. Um so first, I want to just thank LA Collection for this, as I always bring on great guests. And yes, yes, I'll go on if you really want me to. If you're still watching LA Collection and you haven't yet, DM me and uh, we can definitely talk about it uh, for sure. Grotman Cards, my friend Mitch says, people that keep the coating on should slab vintage cards with gum on it. Now, that's a funny comment, but this is how much of a cardboard nerd I am. I have a I have a collection of vintage cards with the gum still stuck on them. It's like three cards only. But I have them. I've cracked the odd pack. It's a neat, it's a Steve Eiserman, like a recognizable player. I think I have one, a Nolan Ryan as well. Um, and I think, or maybe it's Ryan Sandberg. But anyway, in any event, they're they're kind of cool. I don't know about to get them slab, but it's fun to fun to have them. Uh, Cardboard Cheddar just made a really great comment. It says, sellers don't have to meet what someone else is willing to sell for. I'm so sick of the bottom feeders in this hobby who don't see any value until they own it. And I, I see what he's getting at, but the what my my nugget from this post is that just because you don't want to pay what a seller is asking for a card, or a seller is asking more money for a card than the most recent comp or the most recent the average of the most recent three comps, doesn't mean they have to sell you the card. They can keep the card. They can price it. You know, if you price it way out, way you know, two three x what is, what what it's ever sold for. I think that that's awkward. But, you know, yeah, if you don't want to pay someone's price, don't pay the price. Look for an alternative copy. Really simple as that. Or just don't buy the card. That's also pretty easy to do as well. And uh, as a final uh, question for the panel, Vintage Card Collector asked this a while ago now, is there a big vintage card on Jeff's radar? But I want to ask this to all three of you guys. 
Is there a vintage card that might be in your sights for 2023, the year ahead, that you would like to add if you have the opportunity to? We'll start with you, Jeff. Yeah, 100%. There's actually several. Um, I've gotten I've gotten a little more excited, you know, about about vintage. I've gotten into it more. Um, I love the 33 Gaudi Babe Ruths. I I I have them in relatively low grade, but I, I love that. I love the 33 Gaudi set. It's beautiful. Um, I would and these are super rare and super expensive, but I would love to pick up a 33 Gaudi Ruth that is signed by Ruth and authenticated. So that's one that I'm after. They will very occasionally come up for auction. You'll see one maybe every one a year or every other year. They go for outrageous prices, but I would love to get one of those someday. Um, I also would love to pick up the Lou Gehrig from that set. I'd love to pick up a Lou Gehrig auto from that set. I want to pick up the Shoeless Joe Jackson from 1915 Cracker Jack. That's one that I'm after that I'd really like to get. Um, that's a beautiful card. But probably my next vintage purchase, the one that I'm you know, most I'd say excited about getting next is going to be a 48 leaf Jackie Robinson. I don't own a Jackie Robinson card. And I, you know, I just, I feel like Jackie Robinson transcends way beyond sports, way beyond sports. And not only an exceptional baseball player, but somebody who, you know, just, just dealt with the most unbelievable circumstances and, came out a hero and, and made, you know, meant incredible things to a large, you know, to meant incredible things to the country and uh, in, in ways beyond just the game. And so I think that that's so cool. And so it, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to rank any baseball player above Jackie Robinson when you consider all of that, all that else. Right. So a, a 48 leaf Robinson's definitely, you know, high on my list. You know, I, I also don't like the question, what's your favorite card in your collection? I, I've got a thousand that I love. But when I'm asked that question, Jeff, my answer for the past year or so has been my 48 Leaf Jackie Robinson. It So I'm with you. And the fact that that's the card you're chasing, uh, you know, props in my books for sure. It's, it's certainly worthy. He transcends the sport. He's a historical figure, a very important one in, in history. And uh, so, yeah, I, I love that answer. How about you, Doug? Do you have a vintage card in the that you'd like to pick up in 2023? Short answer is no. Um, <laughs> we do a show on the Sports Card Investor Channel called Cards on the Table, and we had it's the three of us. It's Jeff, Teapot, and myself, and we had a, a vintage conversation not too long ago, and I and I gave my hot take that I don't I'm not interested in vintage. Um, I feel pressure to be interested in vin vintage because that's what everybody is kind of starting to move to in the past year is it's become, it's, you know, it's more stable to a lot of people. It's more interesting, but it just doesn't scratch any itches for me. Like there's, I didn't watch any of these players, right. I, I don't have any connection to any of them. Most of the teams, I don't have any sort of connection to. So I'm, I'm much more of a modern and ultra modern uh, collector personally, but in order to sort of appease that, that crowd that says, you know, you've got to have something vintage, um, I collect a lot of former Kentucky basketball players, Kentucky football players. I'll go after a Dan Issel rookie card that's only 71. It's not that old, unfortunately, but it's the oldest thing that I'll own, right? So um, a, a Dan Issel rookie card, I guess, I'll, if I have to say something, I'll put that on the list. But you you, you don't have to say anything, Doug. That's the beauty of the hobby. You can do the hobby True. your way. If you don't want to collect vintage, all the power to you. I won't judge you. Most of my audience won't judge you. I don't know. And, I'm about to uh, look at these comments here in a second and see what uh, <laughs> people think about that. How about you, Teapot? Vintage was something I got into 
like in the last year, uh, I, I just, a lot of it was born out of saying, I want to be more well-rounded in terms of helping grow our database and market movers and understanding this, this area of the hobby. And, and then I just got bit by it, just the colors and the vibrancy and everything. So I'm, I'm very into it now. A uh, couple cards. One I was looking for actively at the national and then found the Kobe and, and spent my budget um, is a 54 tops Al Kaline. So I'd really like to get a Kaline rookie. Um, I'm a Tigers fan and uh, Kaline was a, was a pretty good guy and he's a Tigers legend. And so that's one I'd like to get. Um, I'd like to get a 1948 Robinson too, but a sugar Ray Robinson belief. Uh, <laughs> um Victory Investments did a little video on him, and and um, and it was it was real compelling, and so I was influenced by a Instagram influencer, um, and I a couple other I really liked the 1938 Gaudi set, the kind of playful ones with the caricatures of the guys. Um, I wouldn't mind even just picking up like a lesser player from that set just to have. I think they're really cool. So that's that's one thing for me with vintage that I've had a lot of fun with is a lot of the key players are kind of out of my budget but the sets are really cool and visually compelling. And so I've enjoyed doing a little bit of historical research into some of these guys and learning about their story and what they, what they did, where they were from, what they went through and, and kind of going at it from that approach. So I, I, there's certain sets, the 1910 Mecca set is really cool. There's, there's just some that really speak to me. And so that would be my list. When you said the 38 set, are you talking about the set with the, like the Joe DiMaggio rookie in there where he, there's yeah. two copies of the card with the graffiti and the one without He's he's like he's like you know got the yeah. bag like real cheesy looking. I have the Joe DiMaggio in my collection. It's one of my favorite cars. I love that. I that set is just awesome. And the yeah. Joe DiMaggio to me is a key vintage Hall of Fame baseball rookie. Uh, I don't even know if it's his most popular card. I think he's got a, a, a the second his second year play ball. I think is even more popular. But I absolutely love that card. So very cool the heads yeah the heads up set says uh luca nation exactly it, it yeah. is such a, such a great set um all right guys there's one question that somebody has been asking me to ask you jeff in the chat i'm not going to put it on the screen but he's basically asking me to ask you if you think the greater fool theory will continue into 2023 or have collectors wised up in regards to all the price fixing is this anything that you would like to comment on um i I don't, I, I think there's less greater fool going on today because I just don't think there's as many people flipping. Right. I mean, I think that that was, I think you had a pattern in certainly in, in 2020 and 2021, when you were having these incredible spikes and in prices of cards where you had flippers flipping the flippers. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's all that was happening. No one was selling to a collector. It was flippers flipping to flippers, flipping to flippers, flipping to flippers, flipping to flippers. And then all of a sudden it reached this crescendo when like the 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 flipper who paid the most for it turned around and looked for the next flipper to sell it to. And all of a sudden no one was there with a bag of cash. And so then he panicked and sold it down to a flipper down below who then panicked and sold it down to another flipper who then panicked and sold it down. Eventually it landed in the hands of a collector. But I think you had a lot of flippers, you know, on that rise and on that price spike decline. I don't think you have nearly as much of that today. I think a lot of that is kind of, you know, filtered out. I do think you probably have, um, I, I do think you have some people that are trying to protect the price of cards. So I do think that's happening. I do think you probably have some people who, you know, maybe they have a certain card and they don't want to see it fall 
in in value in you know in, in value according to comps and so then another card of that same one you know comes up for sale and they're bidding on it trying to keep the price elevated at a certain level you know i, I think you're seeing you know you got two people that are kind of buying each other's cards to try to kind of keep prices up I, I i do think some of that still goes on so you have to be careful about all that but i also think that people can only kind of out manipulate the overall market for so long before eventually somebody's just going to get left holding the bag and get burned it's not going to work i mean you can you can you can you know i mean and that's one of the things i said earlier in the show with like the 86 jordan fleers and i'm not i'm not saying there's a big conspiracy of of you know that happening but i do think there are people that are are just like you know what i'm going to I'm going to buy that card up to $180,000 every time I see it. Cause it, I do think there's a little bit of price protection around that level there. I don't know that that can hold up forever because if, if the Jordan market overall dips another 20, 30, 40%, at what point do those people say, eh, it's like trying to continue to pay 180 for this card. It's just, and then all of a sudden you see, Oh, now, whoosh, now it kind of comes down. So I, 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 you know, I think there's a, I think there's some of that going on, sure, but I, I think that that just naturally kind of gets filtered out over time, and I think people who engage in that, honestly, end up getting burned more often than not. I, I don't think it's a, a good, a good strategy. Agreed. And uh, okay, well, thank you for that and for addressing that question. So uh, the we're, we're we're done. This this show is over, but I do want to end it with one. Collector comment I just spotted in the chat from Jake's Toe says, I love the history of vintage cards. I personally like well-used, the well-used look with rounded corners. They have a story to tell. Like I like my cards to be nice, but I like my vintage, especially like pre-war, to look vintage. I don't want a gem mint card from 1933 or 1910 or 1948 or even 1951, even in the 60s. I like them to be, well, 60s, I'll take them a bit better, you know, more than that eight level, but uh I just wanted to end with a nice collector type of comment right there. All right. Thank you to everybody in the chat who joined tonight. Thank you for all the engagement, all the comments, the questions. You guys are awesome tonight. Want to want to also thank everybody who came new to the channel. I want to thank the Sports Card Investor team for bringing more eyes to my channel, to my content. I do appreciate that, guys. To Jeff, Doug, Teapot, Kelly, your whole team. I I do I do recognize that, and I appreciate that to you three. It's been great having you all on tonight. I do appreciate it. Uh, LGC says, great hangout, Jay Lee and gang, Teapot and Wakanda forever. Okay, great. We had a lot of thanks coming in. We're going to just end this now unless, you know, final comments, Jeff, uh, from you. And then I guess we'll wrap this up. I'll just say, Jeremy, this has been a pleasure, man. And to everybody out there, please check out our virtual holiday sports card show on our YouTube channel. Tuesday and Wednesday night, this Tuesday and Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time, both nights, 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be a really good show, tw over $20,000 worth of giveaways, thanks to Midwest Cards and eBay. Uh, it's a great show. So join Tuesday, Wednesday on the Sports Card Investor YouTube. And Jeremy's going to be part of it, too. So we'll, we'll be able to continue the conversation there. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. Toa Hank says, let's see Jeremy on cards on the table. I will be on the virtual. Toa, I appreciate the, the endorsement. Teapot, final words from you? Just had a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to my diatribe. And um, always a good time chatting with everybody. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, Teapot. Doug, final from you, and then it's over. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come on and hang out. Uh, parting thoughts, long live hobby shops. Support your local hobby shop. Big city, small city, doesn't matter. 
Love them all. Well said. All right, guys. And with that, you three hang tight for one moment. Everybody else, thanks again for joining. I'll be back tomorrow night, 10 o'clock Eastern with Ken Richardson and, uh, and for the rest of the month. So thank you, everybody, again for joining. This episode is over.